Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. It's really quite simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time. And it's usually a TV show or movie. And um, tonight we are talking about several first times. Um, This is our very first Oscar special. So we will be talking actually about 56 first time watches for us. Um, I've had a lot of people that I mentioned this to um, sort of ask me how this fits into our um, sort of podcast, like how it works, because my show is about introducing someone or someone introducing a movie to me and we talk about it. Well, both me and my guest are watching all of these. They're all brand new movies to us that we've watched over the last year leading up to the biggest film award ceremony that happens every year. So it's the 2021 Oscar season. And um, to lift the curtain back a little bit, we're recording this about a week and a half before the actual ceremony. So it's, uh, it's not known right now. You might be listening to this after, and we might be completely wrong on all of our predictions. But um, my guest tonight, I'm very excited to have on because He's the only other person that's in my circle that I know watches almost every year, watches almost all the nominees. Um, We always sort of compare our ballots back and forth and predictions. And so I thought, you know, who better to have on on the Oscar, the very first Oscar special than um, my friend, the award winning filmmaker, Brian Crew. (laughs) Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's fun. I'm excited to talk about this year's films. Me too. And like I said, uh, on social media, I always see like you, you always beat me by 10 or 15 films. (laughs) Like I I try to get all the lead, the big sort of main uh, categories down. And every year I I hit them a little bit more. And this year is a little different because we're recording this, like I said, a week and a half out. Usually we have right up until the ceremony. So when I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, hey, would you be interested um, I, I feel like you're on the same boat as me sometimes where it's, it's like a friendly competition. Like, oh, you know, this is a challenge. Let's see what we can do with this. And um, how many of the films did you see, Brian? I actually, as of last night, I, I saw The Man Who Sold His Skin, which was the last one I needed to see. And I have seen all the nominees. I, I actually watched that one last night myself. But um, I, there's 56 films nominated this year. And... I saw all except for two, and I'll I'll mention those when we're going through the categories. I know it's it's almost defeating to get that close and not finish, <laughs> but um, I, I'll I'll definitely check out the the other two before the actual ceremony. So, um, Brian, let's let my audience know who you are and what you have going on right now. Ah, uh, well, um, I'm a filmmaker. I live in Los Angeles, California, and um. For the most part, you know, because of the pandemic, a lot of, not a lot have happened with new projects, but about three weeks before the lockdown happened uh, on February 2020, uh, I, w- I managed to direct two short films inside of five days. And uh, we've been in post on those two films. One's called Flat Earther, and it's kind of about a date that goes wrong. And the other one is called Cabaseo, and it's a dance fantasy centered around an Argentine tango. And uh, we're finishing up post on those. And we haven't been pushing hard on post because we are, my producing partner, Matt Kyle, and I are really adamant that we want to show these in cinemas with audiences at film festivals like uh, Snake Alley. And uh, we are waiting for that. So uh, hopefully this fall, we can finally start to submit the films and we'll be uh, headed out to the film festivals around the country with those uh, as we get into the end of 2021 and 20, beginning of 2022. 
So did you shoot them back to back or did you uh, shoot them like, you know, one day this one, one day that one? Uh, we shot them uh, essentially uh, in one production block uh, with the idea that the idea, the, um, the way to save money was to uh, spread the cost of doing two short films uh, in one block. So we, were, we rented the equipment for one week. We were able to shoot both films in one location. So we just moved the gear in on the first day and locked the doors every night and then didn't have to unload and reload the trucks every night. So we could we change the location's appearance with production design and camera angles and lighting and achieved uh, the different looks for the two films that way. And then the first film, Flat Earther, was actually just, it's a 10 minute shot. So it, we we did the shot, we did it, it's a one -er, uh And so we did that six times the first night. So we have six different versions of that movie to choose from. And then the other four days were the uh, the dance film, the Argentine tango film, Cabaseo. And that is a dance musical number and that requires a lot more coverage and a lot more detail so that even though that film's shorter it took more time to shoot so did it share a lot of the same cast and crew i assume crew yes cast not at all okay cool uh yeah that sounds so the the flat earther is like a i mean i'm not trying to get too many spoilers out of you because uh <laughs> you know i'm hoping once you know festivals get going again next year we'll have it for submitted for the the snake alley festival film but um so you say it's yeah. like one single shot it's one 10 minute shot that's uh, or about nine minutes it starts outside of a bar restaurant uh with two people meeting up for a date it's their second date and they're kind of getting into the details of who they are and we follow them as they go into the bar go into this restaurant and try to get a table and uh kind of learn some things about each other that uh, they didn't really find out on the first date um, that are uh, sometimes they're on the same opinion and sometimes they're not. And we see how that kind of works towards uh, the finale of the film. I haven't, I, you know, it's funny. I haven't talked about the films much, so I haven't gotten my, uh, my good pitch down yet for them for talking about them in this format. <laughs> I got to work on that apparently. That, that, no, that, no, that's okay. Uh, like I said, we don't want too many spoilers because I mean, it's, it's not even finished yet. So, you know, we don't want to spill too many yeah. beans for a 10 minute movie, but um, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see you back directing. And when you said you had two going at once, I'm like, man, dude never stops. But uh well, I mean, that, that was the thing is I've done so many shorts and I really should be getting off my butt and doing a feature. But if I was going to take the time and the money to make a film, I was like, let's just knock out two and, and do something different than we haven't done before. Well, you're probably pretty stoked that you got it in right under the wire because, like you said, everything <sighs> shut down. Yeah, the first two days, because we had extras, uh, we had 60 people on set. Uh, I don't know when we ever would have been able to shoot those films uh, with 60 people on set. Uh, we... we you know, I, they just would not have happened if they didn't happen when they happened. So we're very lucky. Yeah, that's that's great. And nobody, everybody was healthy. Nobody caught anything. It was we were extraordinarily lucky with both the timing and the health of everyone. That's awesome. I'm excited, like I said, to see what you've been Thank up you. to. Um, so, yeah, the Oscars. Um, I, yeah. I, I think you probably have a little more um, insider knowledge on on how this uh, process goes than I do because you actually work in the industry. Um, so how this process uh, do for the Oscars, do they campaign? I am assuming the, the studios, mm -hmm. you know, they submit they have to submit their films because I know I remember hearing, you know, um, one year, I think it was solo they forgot to submit it for like best score <laughs> and that was like a huge deal so i know that they submit them and um and there's a lot of politics involved but i believe the academy votes right 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, they pick their nominees and then they, they vote and they pick their, their winners. Yeah, essentially that's how it works. Like I've been through the process with a couple of my shorts, uh, submitting them for Oscar consideration and the way it, different categories work in different ways. Uh, for the major categories, like the actors, the um, director, the screenplays, yeah, the, the studios uh, or the production companies will submit their films and then they'll run through nominees. And that's kind of uh, how they get to those nominees. I, I'm not exact, I actually don't really know exactly how they get to those nominees, but the other categories like short film, song, uh, visual effects, they usually, We'll screen all those films or like the case of visual effects, uh, they'll do like a bake-off where they just show 10-minute highlight reels and they'll narrow it down to a short list of maybe 10 nominees. That's what they do with the short films. And then there's another process where they narrow those down to the five nominees. So some of these have gone through a couple vetting processes to get to these final five. Okay, cool. And like I said, then the Academy, they they get their screeners. And I mean, this year is completely Mm -hmm. unique because... Um, usually we've seen a majority of these in theaters, you know, maybe sometimes Mm -hmm. not the shorts or the internationals, but, um, with theaters being closed, I don't think I saw a single nominee in a theater. And I think you said you've seen a few, right? I saw one film in a theater, which was Emma, which was the last film I saw in the pandemic. I had, uh, it was about a week after I shot those two shorts. I um I was taking my mom to the movies. <laughs> she wanted to see Emma, and that was I didn't realize that was the last film I was going to see in the cinema. And uh, I was kind of surprised when it got uh, nominated for an Oscar. And it's funny I make a point of seeing everything in the cinema. And I usually go to the shorts TV sh- uh, short film programs that they put in the cinemas out here. So I usually do see almost everything in the cinema. Um, so this is very unique that I I watched everything in the home theater. Yeah, it's it's unique in the way also that um, I'll admit, like I I will be I sometimes worry even like I mean, I know this is just like a small little podcast, you know, a small listenership. But it's like I think about is it really fair how I'm even consuming these? Because it's not like I'm getting an actual vote. But um, Hmm. when I'm getting ready for this episode, you know, I'm cramming. I I watched two movies while I was at work today. It's like, am I giving them a fair shake because, you know, I'm, I'm distracted by other things, but I'm just sort of cramming them because now, you know, everything is available at home. And and especially because of COVID, a lot of these movies that were going to go theatrical ended up at Hulu or Netflix. And, um, Mm -hmm. also just the changing of the times, even before we had a pandemic, I mean, we saw Roma was sort of like the first, oh man, like Netflix got a film that's beautiful and nominated and being taken seriously, you know, the first streaming movie. And uh, now that's not, you know, that's not even like a question. Like, you know, Netflix has their name all over these nominees, um, but it's sort of interesting to watch every year. And it's like, are we eventually just going to have them all on streamers? And then we can have the option to see them in theaters, but it will be like a special thing. Like, Oh, I'm going to actually go and get to see that in the theater, a limited engagement or something, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping just uh, based on the fact of that, uh, what happened with, and it's strange film to bring up in an Oscar podcast, but what happened with Godzilla versus King Kong, um, which uh, Deadline Hollywood reported that uh, it's going to make it make a $94 million profit uh, off of its theatrical run worldwide, you know, during at the tail end of the pandemic, when we're just reopening theaters. Uh, with limited seating capacity and the fact that, that they've managed to get that many people back in the theaters and there's that many people 
excited to get back into the theaters is really a hopeful sign for me. And I think, um, you know, while we're having some uh, last minute theater closures, like the Arclight Pacific Theaters uh, chain that just closed here in Los Angeles, which is really tragic. Um, I think by the time we get to the end of August, we will have seen, I think people are tired of being in their house. I think any excuse to go out, like I have friends who are excited to go to the movies again. We have a bunch of us uh, who are uh, achieved our fully vaccinated status. We, we got tickets to just go see Mortal Kombat at the Chinese theater, just so we can get out and see a movie. We're craving that experience. So um, I, I think I, I think we're going to see a little bit of a rebound and a little bit of a bounce back. But I think the the window between theatrical and streaming is going is never going to be the full ninety days. It's going to shrink to at least forty five, if not more. And uh, the industry has changed, and how we consume movies has changed. Um, Hopefully, people leave some of their at-home habits at home and remember to uh, they're they're in a group setting for watching movies uh, together because I think that that's usually what I hear as people's biggest attractor is people treating the cinemas like their houses and it's like have respect for the experience and the people with you. But that's me being a film snob right now. So <laughs> no, I I was actually gonna say um, we actually went and saw. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong on uh, opening night and our theater mm. has the uh, like big recliner. So they space them out already. And then they, mm-hmm. they only sold at half capacity. So I felt pretty okay about it. Cause uh, Nikki and I are both vaccinated. So it was like, okay, nice. you know, we can probably, this is like one I really with, with monsters at scale. It's just like a popcorn movie. Let's go check it out. And uh, like, Right when the movie starts, this family comes in late. They they sit in a row in front of us in seats that were not supposed to be sat in. And like the kid stands up and she's <sighs> like, Godzilla. And I'm like, now I remember what I hate about theaters at times. <laughs> but um, then I'm like, she's a kid. This is I'm not going to miss a, a plot point in this movie. So I just need to my my anxiety was already back up. I'm like, oh, you know, 10 minutes into a movie and I'm already back to my anxious self. But I needed to remember like <laughs> she's a kid. This is a this isn't like art theater you know it's fine it's just, uh, just enjoy yeah. things but you know like you said there's some things that are like that in theaters and then but you know you'll never replace the magic so you know it was i was glad we went it was awesome it's good to see it back in uh see be back in a theater in general so like you said it, it's nice to see a glimmer of hope with godzilla vs kong because uh we know tenet didn't do what it what it was hoping to do and i think they yeah. were just a little too early on on the gun but yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Christopher Nolan's dedication to the theatrical experience, but he was pushing it. I mean, I'm a I am a film lover. I I, I see over a hundred movies in the theater every year. Um, I love going to the movies, um, but there was no way <laughs> I watched Tenet and my home theater on a 4K disc when it came out in December. That's uh, you know I would have happily gone to see it in IMAX if they had held it, but. Uh, it, you know, um, I, I, I kind of been joking about the uh, I'm really looking forward to the new Bond film. And uh, I was like, yeah, that, there's a reason that film's called No Time to Die. There's no time <laughs> to die going to the movies. I, like, I want to see it. But no, it's it's like I'm I, I you know, you got to be safe and responsible. And uh, Tenet was definitely pushing the boundaries of that. Well, yeah, people were sort of surprised to hear that like Top Gun Maverick got pushed back and then it came out today or yesterday that. Uh, Tom Cruise only did that because he wants to tour the world to promote it. And it's like (laughs) such a Tom Cruise thing. Right. So he's like, you know, push it back until a point where I can safely travel. So I'm like, okay, I respect that. He wants to get the most of it that he can. You know, it's been that long since Top Gun. He's like, he wants to go full out. He doesn't want to do a half-assed release. So I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. And that is one, those trailers have blown me away. The, uh, The cinematography, the aerial work, the IMAX footage. Um, I am 
I mean, the one thing that, you know, Tom Cruise personal problems on one side, but Tom Cruise is a filmmaker. He always knows how to deliver visual spectacle that just it looks amazing. The stunts work in the last few Mission Impossible, so it's been great. And he's almost one of the few people maintaining that uh, Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan tradition of doing your own stunts and watching something that's real on screen. So I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they're opening that film in a window where it can be successful because I'm, you know, as a, as a film fan and as kind of a, a plain fan, I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Yeah. I, I read a headline the other day. It said that he had to be told to stop smiling when he's performing these crazy stunts because <laughs> they don't look like they don't look believable, even though he's really doing them because he's just having so much fun. They're like, you wouldn't be smiling in the, the character wouldn't be smiling, but you're, right. a, you're a lunatic. So stop smiling. <laughs> I, yeah, and I can see him doing exactly that. I mean, that, that was always the joy of the first Top Gun. I was listening to the director and the editors talk about it and the fact that they're wearing the masks and that got them around. All, they rewrote the whole script around the fact that they could just replace their dialogue with anything they wanted when they had the masks on. So just have Tom put his mask on. You can do anything you want. Exactly. All right. So let's get into nominees, because if we keep talking, we'll probably go all night. I was going to. I was going to say, this is going to be a two-hour, three-hour podcast. That's okay. Um, so we'll start with, I'm starting with some of the technical ones. Um, and I, I, sure. I tried to organize them sort of, not in order of importance, because I never really remember how they do it at the actual event. But they, Yeah, they usually start with best supporting actor, just so they get one of those ones off the top, uh, ready to go. And then they kind of downshift into some other categories and then bring back the top ones later on. And do they do they air all of them? I, I know I watch every year, but I can't remember. Like I think they air them all because I know the built like the the Grammys yeah. don't. They they have like a million that they don't show. Yeah, the, no, the Oscars. It's a very point of pride for the Academy staff that they do air all the categories, and that's kind of been one of the big uh, pushing points about the Oscar the rating the TV ratings is that the ceremony is so long. Do we need to show all the nominees? Is this okay? And and one of the things that's been done this year to accommodate that thought is they've taken what used to be the sound mixing category and the sound editing category and merged them into a sound category. So there's not there's one less award to announce, which should decrease the running time a little bit. Which I, I noticed and I'm like, man, they, they've sort of been criticized in the past for uh, not, you know, doing like a stunt man award or different uh, and they should be criticized until they do it <laughs> right and it, but it's like now you're taking away like th these these um technical ones you know they don't ever really get as much respect as they should in the first place and now you've taken mm. one away and combined it i don't know how do you feel about that I, th I the only reason i'm okay with it is because the sound branch of the academy was the one who put forth the recommendation okay and that we li because of the way technology works um you know back 20 years ago when this was all being done maybe 20, 30 years ago at this point. Um, but when when mixing was being, sound effects editing was being done on mag stock with movieolas and uh, pre-digital, and then mixing was being done on mixing stage, those disciplines were very separate, but that those worlds are merging now. Like a sound effects editor kind of does a pre-mix before he gives it to the mixer, and a lot of those guys overlap on the same team. Okay. So even though there's dis different disciplines being awarded there with your production sound, your sound effects editing, and your sound mixing in that category, the sound branch's feeling was that there is enough overlap where you can just do one award. That said, last year, those those two awards were split between two different films. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so. well, that's what I'm sort of wondering is like, that's, that's interesting because I'm glad, I'm glad I have you as a guest to explain it is what I'm trying to say. So oh, uh, spe- speaking of sound, the first one uh, we're going to do is best original song, because to me, while this, uh. this is cool, this is also sort of one where to me, it's like, it's not really, I, I don't know. I'm not going to even criticize it, but it's always to me sort of one that's weird because there's always like a few outliners that get no other nominations. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. don't think Eurovision would be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so, so our nominees are fight for you from Judas and the black Messiah. We have hear my voice from the trial of the Chicago seven Hosevic from Eurovision song contest, the story of fire well saga, um, low scene, from the life ahead, La Vita Davitis Asi, and um, speak now from one night in Miami. So, what is your prediction on this one? This is actually a hard category, um, and I there's three ways to think of uh, three three lines of thought about what could win. Um, one would be. Uh, bizarrely, and I was just mocking Eurovision as kind of an outlier for a weird Academy Award nomination, but that is the only film uh, song nominated that the song plays a role in the plot of the movie. Everything else just kind of comes on in the end credits, whereas that's kind of, uh, Husevic is kind of their purple rain in that movie. Like it mm-hmm. builds to that song and it's hinted at throughout the entire movie. Uh, Prince, so you Prince could... just rolled in his grave, by the way, when you compared. Uh... Yeah, I know. And I've got my, I got my Minnesota twins hat right beside me here on my table. So I, I, as a Minnesota native, I apologize to the great purple one. Um, but um, so there, there could be, I could use uh, maybe, maybe South Park uh, would have been a better example of O Canada. Um, but I think, there is something to be said for the fact that the the song relates to the plot of the movie. So that could be one. The other line of thought would be uh, Lucy uh, from The Life Ahead. That's uh, a song written by Diane Warren. And Diane Warren is, if you're familiar with Roger Deakins from the cinematography branch, who had like 17 nominations before he finally won an Oscar. Diane Warren has had, a le- I think this is her 12th nomination, and she still has never won an Oscar. So there is a line of thought where she could get the Oscar just because she's had so many nominations and she's due. But I honestly think um, on my prediction ballot, I'm saying speak now is going to win because one of the writers of that song is uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Who's nominated for best supporting actor in one night in Miami, same film. And I don't think he's going to take best supporting actor, but they can award him and they can award the film with a best song Oscar. And I think that's the way this is going to go. That's what I have for my prediction. I first thought um, fight for you might just, um, I really love uh, her and you mm-hmm. know, I was, I really like that song. I mean, they're all really good, uh, but my predictions speak now. And what would you, if, if you were voting, what would you pick? Ooh, um, that's a hard one. You know, I might actually follow my own line of logic there. And, and, and bizarrely, I can't believe I would say this. I would never have said it until I saw the movie back on Sunday. Um, I might go for Husevic. Okay. It actually, I, it's, I, I don't, I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan, to be perfectly honest. I kind of am not, I'm not a big fan of his idiot man-child character that he plays <laughs> in every single one of his movies, except for Stranger Than Fiction, which he was excellent in. I wish he'd do more films like that. Um, but, uh, I did like that that was part of the plot of the movie and it was a fun song and it did actually move the story of the film forward. And I, I think if you're going to have a category to award songs and films, 
it really should be more than just the end credit song. It should be something that actually relates to the plot of the film. But that's a personal preference. No, I think that's awesome. Like I know I, I didn't even have that one as far as like like this is that one to me was the bottom of the list. Like how did this make it on <laughs> on there? I list I listened to all of them. I've seen the movie, so I get what you're saying, and it's interesting because it's different perspective. But um, I probably would vote uh, vote for Fight for You just because I like it as a that's song. And it's just personal. That's totally fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I had the same opinion. I, the whole time I had this, when you asked me to, uh, to do this, I hadn't really watched much of the, many of the nominees. And I was kind of like trying to find the motivation to, to oh God, I got to get the fire up the home theater and watch all these films. And there's so many of them. Um, and I saw Eurovision. I was like, I'm not going to watch. If there's one I don't watch, it's going to be Eurovision. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, so I know I completely get that. <laughs> Yeah, I, the other one I remember seeing on the short, like people were actually talking about on the short list was the uh, Wuhan flu song on Borat 2. And I was like, holy, mm-hmm. if that, holy shit, if that makes as a nominee, I will just laugh my ass off. But didn't quite make it. No, I mean, that's like, an, that's like Oh Canada back for South Park. It's right. kind of like, I can't wait to watch them perform that with in a room with people in tuxedos <laughs> and gowns. Yes. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking forward to it, but... Um, yeah, not going to happen this year, and that's okay. I, I don't even know if they'll have live – I'm sure they'll have live song performances during the ceremonies. I mean, if they – sh- they're yeah. requiring the the um, nominees to attend in person. They're not allowing them to be on Zoom, so. I think they lessened that. I heard a rumor that they were actually easing that restriction after some blowback okay. and much-deserved blowback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sort of weird to force it when, like, a month ago we had the Golden Globes. I don't know. Yeah, well, and honestly, I think, you know, in terms of making the Oscars a more interesting uh, and global outreach kind of thing, I think I, I think actually they should explore moving away towards having hubs, making it, you know, I like in this year, they're, they're splitting the locations here in Los Angeles. It's, half of it's at Union Station and half of it's going to be at the, uh, the, uh, the Dolby Theater where it usually is. And it's, I actually would say, you know, put a little hub in London, put a little hub in um in Beijing, put the hubs around different uh, locales so people, different people who are filming in different countries have a chance to attend, and you can kind of make it more global and make an international audience more interested in the Oscars, which I think they, the Academy really needs to work on doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially now that, you know, um, sets are just now being sort of opened back up and people are getting back to work and then expect them to stop and get back for war seasons a bit much. Yeah, I mean... But- the number of risks you'd have to take to get off your set out of your COVID bubble on a plane, like you're going to shut down your whole film production. It's not possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll continue on with sound. And number two that we're working on mm. is sound. So the nominees are, right. are Greyhound, which I just watched today, Mank, mm. News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. So we have two Tom Hanks and then a Pixar yeah. and um, Sound of Metal. Yep. Uh, I think, I mean, uh, I, I think the, the, the winner is in the title sound of metal. I think it, it's, it's, and you know, I, again, I think all those films have wonderful sound and they do contribute to how the story was told. But I think, uh, if you can hear the helicopter in the background, it's just to verify I am in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, but, uh, hence background sound, but I, the sound of metal really contributed to the way that film was told that puts you into the character's headspace. Um, 
and was and just a critical part of the storytelling process of that film and relating you to the character. I think Sound of Metal has that locked up. And just to support that, um, I don't think the Cinema Audio Society Awards have been uh, handed out yet. And you may want to watch for that this weekend, coming weekend, before uh, if you're looking for your predictions, because those are always a great way to see where the sound industry is going. But uh, Sound of Metal did win the BAFTA for Best Sound last weekend. Yeah, that Sound of Metal was my prediction and also my pick. Um, you yeah. know, Greyhound war films always sound. I mean, a good war film like 1917, and um, mm. you know, just we we we've had some great ones. Dunkirk recently. Um, yeah, you know, those always deliver. It, it's always awesome to watch in a theater or with your surround sound at home. Um, and so News of the World, another sort of um, Old West story also has, you know, I think of like explosions and gunshots and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Sound of Metal. I mean, it's it's the movies about hearing and sound. So, uh, yeah. yeah, to me, that's my pick and, and my uh, prediction. 100 percent, 100 percent. I agree. And I, I, I should add, though, that I, I thoroughly enjoyed Greyhound. I thought that was a really great, tense thriller. And uh, I, I congratulate Tom Hanks on being the master of the sound film this year. Yeah, I feel uh, for him because I remember when that came out, he was like, you know, promoting it coming out on Apple, T- Apple Plus or Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of just like defeated, like he really did not want to put it streaming first and he really wanted to be seen in theaters. You could tell he worked really hard on it. And Yeah, no, it's a really great movie. And I really it was one of those ones where it was, it was kind of a uh, I mean, I loved a lot of the nominees this year, but that was a real like, oh, this is this is I'll get to a couple of the other ones I noticed as we go. But that was a great gem of just like, wow, this is I, I this was a it was a really well put together, tight 90 minutes, very tense, really enjoyed it. So next we have best original score and the nominees are the five bloods with this only nomination. We have Mank, um, Minari news of the world and soul. So we have two Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross scores on here. Uh, very different scores, which I think is really cool. Never like when I was a middle schooler listening to (laughs) nine inch nails, what I thought he'd be making a Disney, you know, score because yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking back it's like nine inch nails and toy story eventually they'll merge and you know <laughs> but um but yeah my my i think my prediction and pick is soul i like i I love that score i love trent reznor yeah i think souls i, I think soul is definitely the front runner it took the critics choice the golden globe the bafta um it's definitely seems to has the momentum behind it i think the if you're looking for an upset and how it could happen it is that uh, that that scoring team Trent Reznor um, has uh, they're they are double nominees. They're also nominated for Mank, so there's they could cancel each other out. And they have already won for um, the Social Network, so they already have an Oscar in, on their belt. Whereas uh, uh, Terry Blanchard, who did um, Terrence Blanchard, who did The Five Bloods, has been nominated I think uh, close to ten times, and he's never won. Okay. So, and he is, um, and and the Academy has done a lot, and I'll I'll probably mention this several times over the course of this podcast is, they they've done a lot since the Oscar So White campaign to diversify the member base, and this is a very different uh, group of uh, Academy members that are awarding films than we've seen in the past. It makes it harder to predict because they're these aren't the old. This isn't the old guard. They're looking at this differently, and so they may look at this and want to award uh, a composer who has an amazing career of work, an amazing body of work, um, and added in some diversity. 
um, and and go a different way. So I, I think if there's going to be an, I think you're right. Soul is the front runner. That's probably the one you should mark on your uh, Oscar betting sheet when you're when you're with your friends. But uh, Defy Bloods could come in and upset it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see some change, and I hope I'm wrong on some of these. Like it's always fun to be surprised. Like I did mm-hmm. not expect Parasite to win Best Picture last year, and that was an awesome moment. Like holy shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think the whole thing pivoted literally uh with la la land and moonlight and like and I, you know i and, and i know it was an accident moonlight was the winner all the way but that it was very indicative of the change of attitude that happened in hollywood and at the award shows it really pivoted in that moment live on television where we started seeing they're going to be awarding and looking at films in a different way with more of an eye for diversity and new kinds of stories and i think it's awesome me too so next we have visual effects, and this one is like always a a a big sore thumb. I mean, not necessarily a bad thing, but it always sticks out because it's like the, yeah. the movies that get one nomination. And it's funny because sometimes the movie that wins this, people will rub it in like, oh, you know, this movie has a, an Oscar, but Tarantino didn't have one, or, or Leo at the time <laughs> didn't have one for you know. And it's like right. people make that comparison, but the nominees for visual effects are Love and Monsters. Uh, the Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet. And um, the one one of the two films I didn't see was The One and Only okay. Ivan. Um, I I just completely spaced it out looking at my list, and then I to be honest, it wasn't uh, really on my radar. I saw a trailer for it. I saw you know Brian Cranston, animated gorilla talking to a talking dog. Okay, I. I can see, you know, they they did pretty yeah. cool job making the gorilla look real, but um, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you think of this category. Um, I mean, the one and only Ivan. Every shot has a visual. There's very, there's a couple like isolated close-ups for for the most part. All the main characters are computer animated, and every shot scene is a visual effect. So I understand why it's here. Um, I don't know if I. I don't think it's going to win. Um, the, the, if I was giving out this award, which I'm not, and I, I, I don't think it will win, but the gem of this category for me was uh, Love and Monsters. I Holy just cow, adored yeah. that film. Yeah, I, I recommended it to like four people. They're like, oh, thank you for that. I missed this. And I was like, this is what I think. Like, I would love to have seen that in a theater with everybody. It's, it was great. Yeah, we did a year end episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. And um, one of our, our guest he put this in his top 10 horror of last year. And there was a little argument on, you know, this not quite horror. And he's like, well, it's monsters. It's horror adjacent. And um, no mm-hmm. one else had seen it. it. He was like the only one. And, and we had all watched, you know, hundreds of horror movies prepping for that episode. And uh, I feel bad now that I didn't listen to him. Cause I went back and I watched <laughs> it with my friend, Adam and uh, Nikki the other night. And we loved it. It was, it was a blast and so cool visually. I mean, those monsters mm-hmm. are just awesome. Um, but yeah. I, I think my prediction would be Tenet. They did some really cool stuff with that time travel stuff. Uh, the yeah. way that, you know, explosions were in reverse while people were still moving forward. Uh, it's not, it's to me in this one, in this field where there's a lot of CGI and stuff, it, it sort of stood out as one that doesn't, it looks realistic. But I think my vote, if, if I'm voting with my heart, I would vote for Love and Monsters. Yeah, you and me both. I think you're 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 probably right with Tenet. Tenet took the Critics' Choice in the BAFTA. It um it is the only one that would typically be nominated in this category in a regular year. It's the only summer blockbuster because usually it would be your Star Wars and your Marvel films would dominate this category. And Tenet's kind of the only 
one of that ilk that, you know, that's $200 million blockbusters that kind of crept in here. I think the upset here will come, could come from the Midnight Sky. That actually took the Visual Effects Society's award for best visual effects. So the people who do visual effects gave it to that film. Um, and so that might have some sway. I think they're also, we'll kind of learn a little bit of where the industry's patience and uh, <laughs> tolerance of Christopher Nolan is mm -hmm. with this. Um, cause he's, he, he kind of, he, he, he's pushed people a little bit in this past year with the film stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a film nerd, so I love, uh, his attitudes about seeing films in theaters, but he definitely was pushing kind of the health and safety issue, I think, earlier this year. Uh, and he also had some, you know, different people feel different ways about how he reacted to the HBO max streaming deal. So, um, there's a little bit of feeling around Christopher Nolan that he might be too pretentious for his own good. And George Clooney did the, directed the Midnight Sky, and that's he's obviously a very well-regarded filmmaker, real regarded in the industry. Um, and there's also uh, the idea of this is a, a Netflix movie versus a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, Midnight Sky is Netflix, Tenet is Warner Brothers. So they Tenet may get some points for being a studio film. Midnight Sky might lose some points for being a Netflix film. So I think that all that all those factors will tilt the scales in tenants favor but if there is an upset it'll come from the midnight sky i think yeah i the midnight sky really wasn't even on my radar until the nominees were announced and i i just saw it over the weekend and it was pretty awesome mm -hmm. so yeah and the visual effects again are as much as tenant or any of their films here it's they're crucial to you couldn't tell the story without those visual effects and they do their job very well yeah i think all the nominees are pretty strong Agreed. So our next category is costume design, and our nominees mm -hmm. are Emma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. So this <laughs> is the other one I didn't see was Pinocchio, which you sort of said, I... just watch the trailer. You get the vibe I did. Um, it looks sort of yeah. like a horror movie almost. It looked dark and sort of creepy. Um, I, I wish it was that entertaining. <laughs> um uh, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't a huge, I, 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 you know, I'll be honest, I fell asleep twice in this movie. Um, and and I feel bad saying that because I really try to to have films always give my attention no matter what their quality is. And, and Pinocchio is an exceptionally well-made and designed movie. There's a reason it's nominated for costumes and uh, uh, makeup design because the work those people did in those categories are really fantastic. But they, and I, I, I admire the director's approach to Pinocchio of just wanting to do a version of the tale that was true to the original novel and tone and style. Um, but it, I just, I, I, he was all about the tone and the style and not so much about attaching me and care, making me care about the characters. So it was kind of a chore to watch. And I think that will hurt it in this category. Um, Cause I, I don't think people are going to kind of latch on to it. I think the film that, really is the film to beat in this category is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's won the BAFTA. It won the Costume Designer Guild Awards. Um, and again, I, I keep bringing up these other award shows. And, and one of the reasons is that the guild, uh, almost every department has some society or guild for their members to vote on the film separately. But And many of those guild members are in the academy. So you see some overlap of how the industry started to think. So they're great indicators of where things are going. Um, so I think Ma Rainey does have a really good chance. The only, the, the spoiler here might be Mulan because the Guild did award it in the fantasy category that break things up by fantasy. So Mulan won fantasy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom won best period costumes. So there is a, um, there is a split there, but I 
think my ratings black bottom has has a lock on it that's what i have for a prediction um for my pick I don't know. It's really tough because it's like I'm trying not to just pick the movie I like the most, but like which one actually did the best costume design. And that (laughs) one just looked really cool. Like the uh, Mob Randy's Black Bottom for the I just love that time period. And it looked it looked like an old like it was accurate. You know, it looked like an old time film. But I mean, Mank did, too. But uh, but then again, Mulan was like, you know, very intricate designs. I love that look too. the the. Uh, mm-hmm. Asian flair, like it's it's that's cool too. So I don't know. Um, I guess I would vote for. Uh, I'm gonna predict Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I'd vote for Mulan because I didn't really love Mulan, but visually it was awesome. Yeah, and you and you kind of look at Mulan and like you know Ma Rainey is a very small number of characters. Mulan is hundreds right. of characters, yeah. so there's a scale issue in there too. I think you know this th- this category could swing a lot of ways. Mank has a lot of the same period uh amazing look they're really extravagant costumes at some of those uh hearst parties and stuff so i, I th- there, there's a lot of open room here i think ma rainey's black bottom has the edge um we didn't say anything about emma but i think emma just is we've been there and seen that mm-hmm. those kinds of costumes before they're well done obviously but um i, I think the uniqueness lies in these other nominees um so yeah, I think I would probably actually, I, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to win, and I think I, that would be my vote. Excellent. So the next one in the same vein, we're doing makeup and hairstyling. And we have a lot, right. of, a lot of the same nominees. We have Emma, <laughs> um, Hillbilly LG in its first nominee nomination, um, <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio again. Um, so my prediction is once again, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and I will have to say that would be my vote too, just for almost for the same reasons. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I I don't think there's much else to say, especially and again, just going through the other award shows to give the evidence. Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and the and the Makeup and Hair Designers Guild uh, gave it two different awards for period hair and makeup. So. Uh, yeah, it's got all the momentum. I think it's got all the love. Um, the only other one that's won an award here was Pinocchio. Uh, it won the Hair and Makeup Designer Guild Award for Best Character Work. And mm. that's totally understandable. The main character, Pinocchio, is all makeup almost all the time. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. But I think overall on the quality of the film, and I, you, know, I, you, you mentioned earlier, do you vote for your favorite film or do you vote for what had the best costumes or the best hair and makeup or you know the best in that category, even though you may not like the film that much? And I think that's a question a lot of Academy voters struggle with. And I think they all have different philosophies on where they land with that. But I think it's a lot easier to vote for something that you really enjoyed and took to heart. So I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to swing on that count as well yeah because they're humans voting too and if uh they you know maybe they fell asleep several times during pinocchio and that <laughs> and that doesn't fare well for it but um no it doesn't and so we're getting we're getting into it now and it's we're gonna have a lot of um overlapping which is no surprise so uh, mm. you know things will start to, to ramp up a bit but uh, our next category is production design and right. uh, we have the father for its first nomination we have ma rainey's black bottom mank news of the world and tenant so uh what is your prediction and pick for production design my prediction uh is mank mank has uh, seems to have all the momentum here and i think if mank's mank's obviously got a lot of nominations you're going to hear the name of that film a lot i don't think it has a lot of momentum behind it i think it's just a respect for the craft and that's represented the nominations i don't think it's going to win 
really any other category, but it does have a lot of momentum here from the Critics' Choice Awards, the Art Director Guilds Awards for a period film, and the BAFTAs. Um, Mank got a lot of love and a, a lot of deserved love. Like I, I think the interesting thing looking at this, like films like The Father and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, they have very singular locations um, to tell tell their stories in, but they're both based on stage plays and they're both set in those singular uh, locations, more or less. The father redresses it and reshapes it to uh, go with Anthony Hopkins' dementia, which is really great because uh, they're really subtle changes and you're just as disoriented as Anthony Hopkins is because of the production design. But when Mank does that with Gary Old's, the location where Gary Oldman's writing Citizen Kane and then adds all the William Randolph Hearst stuff, all the old Hollywood stuff, all those other locations that are in the film. So, you, you, you know, like we were talking about with Milan, there's just a huge amount of scale on top of what's in those other films. Um, and I think the production design of Mank was really well done. Uh, the only spoiler here is while Mank won the Art Directors Guild Award for Best Period Film, Tenet won the Art Directors Guild Award for Best Fantasy Film. Hmm. So there were those are different categories. The Art Directors Guilds here, they're competing against each other. So we don't know quite how that matchup's going to go. Yeah, my prediction was Mank, but um, I didn't really even think about because because when I saw the the father listed on here, which that movie totally messed with me when I first started watching it. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Then I realized yeah. like we're going along that journey with him is such a unique um, take on a story that's already been told several films about Alzheimer's, you know, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was genius the way they they did it and heartbreaking, you know, not not yeah. a happy movie. I mean, th- overall this this year was just a, a big <laughs> Debbie Downer, but um for this <laughs> yeah, for for this production design, I was like, why is this on here now that makes sense. You you mentioned, you know, the subtle changes to to keep us sort of um as confused as uh, mm-hmm. as Anthony Hopkins was, but um yeah, Mank, I think, you know, just thinking of the old way, the old Academy, the way they would always vote, if something had to do with Hollywood, it always had a little bit of a boost. And this movie's about yeah. Hollywood. You're you're talking about people in Hollywood voting. Um, yeah, I think the if, if anything, it's going to win this year. It's going to be production design. So agreed. Yeah. And so our next one is film editing. And the nominees are The Father. Um, Nomadland in its first appearance on our list, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Um, to me, this one will go to Chloe Zhao on Nomadland because she wrote, directed, and edited the movie, which is pretty damn impressive. It is. Um, and, it, and, and you know, it's a, it, you're very right to kind of throw that in because if you look at all these nominees, they're all best uh, picture nominees and they're all but one best director nominees. Mm -hmm. And those three categories, like if you want to tell early in the night how things are going to go, watch the film editing category because that's the one that dictates how well the story was told. And it's a really great kind of hidden indicator what might go down for best picture. That said, I don't think that's how it's going to go this year. Um, I think Chloe Zhao is going to walk home with a lot of Oscars. I don't think this is one of them. Um, I think actually this one's and, and the BAFTAs and the Critics' Choice would agree. I think this is going to go to Sound of Metal. Okay. Um, there was something the way that that, that particular film was put together, um, and I think it's uh, and it's gonna. It's not the first time this kind of thing has happened. Um, Whiplash, uh, which also was about a drummer, um, did a very similar thing where it won the Best Editing Oscar, and for the way and the pacing of how that film was told with 
music and sound effects. And I think Sound of Metal has that kind of vibe. It's a very, very well told story. And a lot of how you're much like the sound category where I think it's also going to win a lot of that kind of um, subjective view of his world as it changes comes through the editing and how it works. So I, th I think Sound of Metal will actually um, take this award. And we I should note that we don't know the Guild Award for this one. The Editor's Guild Awards don't happen to um, April 17th. So if you're listening to this and it's after April 17th, look up who won the Editor's Guild Award. You'll have a pretty good idea who's going to win the Oscar. Why, well, you know, you, you are an editor, you do that for a living. So like, I, I trust <laughs> yeah. your, your judgment, but um, I just think it's, it's really cool when, you know, a director edits their own film too. And, uh, you know, yeah, so that, that's my pick. What would your, if you were voting, would you, as, as an editor, what would you pick? Uh, I, it's kind of a toss up to me between sound and metal and promising a woman. Um, I really like the, the pacing and the, uh, energy of those two films and they, uh, the, how they kind of are propelled. Um, uh, I mean, th these are all exceptionally well edited films, so don't take that as a knock against any of the other nominees. Um, but I feel like uh, for Nomadland, and, and this is a huge part of editing, but I, I, I feel like the editing process, because Chloe Zhao was the writer, the director, the producer on this film that that was an ex that was a necessary extension of her storytelling process mm -hmm. and i feel like the not that the editing is weak but i think she was stronger in the directing and the uh writing of the film and uh i think for the editing i'd, I'd rather spread the love around to another deserving film i could see that because i have her picked for um some upcoming awards so as do i <laughs> uh so next we have cinematography um, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite ones. Uh, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of Chicago 7. So these are going to be like repeated a million times tonight. And so <laughs> um, once again, for this one, I picked Nomadland um, as my prediction, but I probably wouldn't pick it for my vote. Um, what are you going with? Uh, I would, uh, I think prediction wise, Nomadland, I think you're bang on. Uh, it's, won the critics choice it's won the bafta um the Cin american cinematography award or american society of cinematographer awards are not until the 18th so we don't know yet what's going to win that but i i've looked on the prediction sites and everybody seems to be going with nomadlands um and i think the outdoor cinematography that is quite lovely um prediction for me personally um i actually really you know, I, I, just to be just to be kind of a little different. I really like the way News of the World was shot. Um, I really love those outdoor Western vistas. It's not a kind of style that we get to see very often. Um, for all the talk of Mank and its visual style, I actually kind of found the, the the digital version of old Hollywood lighting to look a little flat. I missed the film grain and uh, the depth that just kind of the image didn't pop for me the way I would want. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's how I land on that one. But I think No Man Land has a has a lock on this one for the win. Yeah, I I wanted to like Mank a lot more in general. Um, it was it was really good. But uh, mm -hmm. when I when it was announced and when I heard about it, even after seeing the first trailer, I was uh, maybe just my expectations were so high because of everybody involved. But um, I don't know, or maybe it was the strength of the uh, the rest of the nominees. You know that it's it's only yeah. it's up against some really great films. So, 
Um, I, I did love the look of it. Uh, so, you know, it, mm-hmm. it might, I don't know. I'm having a tough time even choosing one for this. Um, like you it's said, a hard category. Yeah. The, the outside cinematography, like the big open spaces in nomad land of her, like while she's traveling are really cool. And the, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Really gorgeous. Um, it wasn't nomad land definitely wasn't, uh, is not going to get my vote for, you know, like, uh, we'll talk about that later, but it's not, it wasn't my favorite <laughs> of, of this crop. It's really fantastic, but it's not my favorite of this yeah. crop. But, um, yeah, I, I think I might vote for Mank just because I love that old black and white look and, uh, mm. really cool set design and, and the cinematography. So, um, the next one's a really big one and I wasn't sure if we were going to like jump right to, I was, I was sort of, <laughs> you know, but let's do a big one. We're going to go with directing. Do it. Direct, All right. Directing, we have another round in his first um, appearance by Thomas Vinterberg. We have Mank, David Fincher. We have Minari by Lee Isaac Chung, Nomadland with Chloe Zhao, and Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennel. Hmm. So, so what is your prediction and your pick for directing this year? Uh, I th- I think my, uh, the prediction, and I, th- you know, I, I, I really, it would be an utter shock if Chloe Zhao does not get for Nomadland, she has won Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, BAFTAs, and the Directors Guild of America Award. Um, and very rarely does the it happens, but very rarely does the Directors Guild of America and the Academy not line up, and not with this amount of momentum. Chloe Zhao has been the front runner in this category since like August or September when this movie started hitting the festivals, uh, and she's never really surrendered that front runner status. Um, and there's no indication right now that she has, uh, maybe in some room, someplace she's lost momentum and people are changing their votes, but I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, and I think she's very, uh, deservedly going to get the Oscar and I, uh, I'm, 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 I would be happy to vote for her if I had such a vote. Yeah. I think this is probably out of all the nominees might be like the most locked in. Like if you don't, don't listen to us, we're not giving legal advice, but if you were to be (laughs) um, betting some money on it, I think this one would be a safe bet for uh, Chloe for, for directing Nomadland. And that's probably my vote too. Um, I just, like I said, I, I probably sound like a broken record, but I love when you have people who are so involved that do the the writing, directing, producing, editing, mm-hmm. really cool. Um, you know, just a, a great, strong film. So yeah, I'll I'll give my vote and my prediction to Nomadland. Yeah, I think she's she's in there. I think if I if I had to say, just to throw a little bit of a you know a spoiler in there, uh, somebody that could come from behind, but I think it's going to go in a different way for this. Uh, there's a lot of industry support for Promising Young Woman. And a lot of people love that movie and that message. And if there's anybody that maybe might sneak in there, it might be that. Yeah, that would be the other one I might consider because I adore that movie so much. That's probably, and that one will come back up later. I'll talk a little bit more Mm -hmm. about that one in another category. But um, our, our next one is writing for adapted screenplay. And this one's a fun one, too, because we have um, Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regimen for make benefit <laughs> once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Uh, well done. Uh, we have The Father, Nomadland, once again, One Night in Miami. And um, this one, which I really w- was not on my radar and I loved it, was The White Tiger. 
Agreed. Wasn't that a kick in the butt? That was awesome. And we, we, uh, I watched it with Nikki. She was like, she, you know, she had no idea. She's <laughs> like, what is this? And I'm like, let's just watch it, you know? And I think it's, I think that's right up her alley. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It, it blew both of us away. And then I went to work and I, I was telling my boss, he's always like, he's been sort of following along with this journey of watching all the nominees. And he's like, what'd you watch last night? And I'm like, it's on Netflix called the white tiger. Just watch it. I'm not telling you a thing about it. Just trust yeah. me on this one. Go watch it. Um, and, and I'm not going to, we're not going to spoil any of these cause they're all new. Um, we'll talk a little bit mm. about sometimes from stories, but, um, we're trying, we're not going to spoil, like I said, cause we want you guys to, no. to see as many of them, but, um, that's not my prediction or my pick. I think, Nomadland once again will take this one, um, yeah. but oh, if I had a vote, this might, I I might just pick the White Tiger just because uh, it stood out to me. I I loved all these others, um, but to me that story was so wild. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the majority of the industry opinion is going to be that the White Tiger won by being nominated because it's such an outlier. Right. Um, I, I think the other nominees in this category, I think you're right. I think Nomadland will win, but there's some interesting logic to the other films as well. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm not going to brave the entire name, but Borap's is a good <laughs> movie, movie film. Uh, it did win the WGA award for, uh, in this category. The interesting thing with Nomadland is that Nomadland was done outside WGA regulations. So it was not nominated. It could not be nominated for the WGA, the Writers Guild Award. Mm. So um, we don't know how that matchup works out from a guild standpoint. Um, the father won the BAFTA, and that just could be because it was a very heavily British film, and they like to award British films. But there is that. And then the other really interesting one here is One Night in Miami, which is written by Kent Powers, uh, who is the co-director and co-writer of Soul, which is nominated for Best Animated Film. And the interesting thing for that is that even though he's the co-director and the and the co-writer of Soul, he is not included in the nomination for Best Animated Feature. It's the producer and the main director, Pete Docter. So I could see the Academy wanting to kind of say, what up, why didn't you nominate him in this category and give him an Oscar for One Night in Miami? Um, that said, I think the momentum and all the uh, energy is behind Nomadland, and I think that's what's going to win. That's what I would mark on my betting sheet. But there, there is a chance for a couple of these films to come and spoil that and uh, take the Oscar by surprise. Well, that's exciting because you know I, I it, it could be it can get a bit repetitive when one film wins so many, and when you sort of know going in who's mm -hmm. a leader. So it's it's once again why I have you on here because you've you've done more research than I have so uh you know hearing I love this stuff no that's fantastic and um you know it, it, I think I read that Borat is the right. next to yeah. um what is it next to the Godfather as one of the only like sequels like the film and its sequel mm -hmm. to get nominated for this category and or for uh Oscars like I can't think of yeah. any other times where a, a film and its sequel were both nominated. So, um, what it's a... exceptionally rare. And I think the other thing about Borat is I think there's 11 writers nominated. Yeah, I have for that one film. Yeah, I have. The, I was gonna name the writers when I was going through this, but the the title of the movie's um, a page long. And then yeah, there's there's <laughs> a, a huge list of names. And you know, yes. I, I, I if you're listening to this and you were one of them, I'm sorry we didn't list all of you. 
Um, but thanks for listening to the show. But uh, and much respect for your work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's yeah, that's crazy. Like there's a whole paragraph of the, between the title and the writers on my on my notes. But um, yeah. I feel bad who's ever doing the voiceover at the Oscars when it comes to that category. They're going to get that card and be like, you got to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to be winded by the time they get to the end. Cause yeah, it's, Seriously. there's, I mean, the stories by five people alone. So yeah, that's wild. Um, and so obviously our next category is writing for original screenplay and our nominees are Judas and the black Messiah, Minari promising young woman, sound of metal, and the trial of Chicago Seven. Uh, my prediction wow. is going to promising young woman, and my vote. And I think you're exact, a hundred percent right. And it's that's impressive because that's a really impressive group of five films. Oh yeah. Um, and they're all deserving, and they all could take it. And I won't cry foul if any one of them do. But promising woman, that's a that a, that that's a punch in the gut of a screenplay. It's really great. I think a lot of the energy of that movie comes from the screenplay, uh, not to discredit the other parts of that storytelling, but it's a really well told story on the page. The dialogue's fantastic. It's won the Critics' Choice Award, the BAFTA, and the Writers Guild Award in this category. Um, I think if you'd asked anybody a year ago, they would have given it to Trial of Chicago 7, and the um, (laughs) very white uh, Golden Globes did. and but i i don't think that's where the academy's at i think we're i don't think that's where the world is at to be honest i think promising a woman uh rightly deserves this the oscar and i think that's what's going to happen i i really hope so um this was another one that i watched with nikki and she like cheered at the end she loved this one uh and and we've you know we've seen aaron sorkin he's gotten his awards before and he'll be back with with another chance so um, you know, yeah. I, I really do hope this one takes it. Um, but I, I love Minari too. The writing on that was great. I mean, mm-hmm. all, like you said, this is probably one of the, if not the strongest category, just, um, so many great nominees. It's going to yeah. be, uh, it, yeah. it, it, even the losers are winners in this one. Um, so yeah. totally. And you, you can look and see how many of the, the nominees here overlap in film editing, screenplay, directing, and picture. And those are the, the, the literal storytelling uh, categories. And you can see how well the stories are, are laid out from beginning to finish on those films. And it's that you can uh, get an appreciation for the productions just by seeing the consistency in those nominations. For sure. So let's take a quick break to hear from the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. And we'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. All right, and we are back, and we're going to get into my favorites of this year. These really blew me away. Um, we're going to get into the short films. So, Woo-hoo! yeah, this was, oh, man. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is Best Animated Short Film, and our nominees are Burrow, which you can see on Disney+, Plus, um, Genius Loki, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes, People. 
Oh, man. Um, one of these made me weep, and so it's <laughs> getting my pick and my vote. Um, if anything happens, I love you. Uh, I'm just talking about it. The hairs on my neck are, are raising. It it made me just ball. It it is so sad, so deep, um, and so well done. But all these are really great. What did you think? Uh, I thought all of them were really great. Um, I think, um, you know, it, it, with the exception of, and this is going to sound cruel, but with the exception of Yes People, I think any of these films could win and I won't cry foul. But I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, if Anything Happens, I Love You has a lock on this. Um, I think this fits with um, kind of the tone of the nation mm-hmm. right now. Um, it just, I mean, you know, it's it's amazing um, uh, just how, you know, as we come out of lockdown, how some of the problems that were problems before you we went into lockdown have just come back um, to, uh, like they without missing a beat. And this film hits it right on the head with those. Um, I think it's really great. Yeah, it's it like you said, it's it's an unfortunate thing, but yeah, it's very relevant now, and I I hope it's not relevant. You know, I hope there's a time in our in our world where this is like looked back on as like a, a crazy time. But yeah, I would I would love it for this to be a commentary on a period gone by, but that's not the case. It's a world we very much live in, um, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll just say I say I I don't think I'm giving too much away to say what it is. But this film deals kind of with. Uh, gun violence right and i think um the you know i I, it's and i think that fits with something that's very much an issue close to the heart of a lot of uh hollywood and a lot of academy members um and so i think this is definitely one that's going to stand out and i think also you know speaking of just kind of streaming politics um i i think it's interesting to note about this being on netflix and and burrow being on disney plus is these films are easier to watch for a lot of people Mm mm-hmm uh, and much more accessible uh, than they ever have been before. Academy members, uh, you know, have access in a different way than the rest of us do. But this is a much easier film to access. It's going to be one that Academy members, friends who aren't in the Academy have seen and maybe talked about. Um, so I think there's there, there's a potential because of this these ones that are on the streaming services for Buzz to build in a way that hasn't been available before. So that could assist these films in uh, getting an award. Yeah, it feels like this year they're, the shorts are more accessible than ever. Um, even, you know, they've always had that shorts package where you can watch them. Like you said, you saw them in theaters. And uh, mm-hmm. this year you can buy them either as a complete package or in um, individual groupings. And they, they include some extras that aren't nominated. But um, you can find almost all of these online now, um, whether it's on Netflix or Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. Um, and it's, it's cool to see that the shorts, the shorts have always sort of been ones that are hard to find. And, um, to me, these were my, like some of these just, just blew my mind. And of course I'm, I run a short film festival. So, you know, this <laughs> is sort of my world, but I think for the a general audience that is not going to, they don't want to sit through, you know what they oh these are all artsy films i always hear that from people outside of you know this is just a a whole film world patting themselves on the back like these films it's Mm. it's it's just cool to see like netflix embrace short films it's just that was not a thing before and you know yeah it's cool well i think you know i i i I, you know i'd say to the people who think that this you know and this is me on a soapbox because i'm a short filmmaker but I, I, you know, I, I think this is where we identify a lot of up and coming filmmakers. This is mm-hmm. a, and the industry, not to get, you know, into Hollywood history, but I mean, the industry was founded on short films. They used to call them one reelers and two reelers in the silent era. 
this is how filmmakers like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton um, all learned how to make movies and tell stories. And really, this is how the film industry grew up and learned how to make movies and tell stories because they weren't allowed to make features for a very long time. And that's a longer conversation. But it, um, the short film medium is crucial to the development and the growth of the film industry. And you get to see subjects, subject matter that you can't really get focused on in the way in the same way in a feature film that get kind of brought out by younger voices uh more um more diverse voices in, in these categories so I, I think these are some of the always the more exciting films because they can take a chance because they're not usually studio films so uh you know if, you, if you're tired if you're tired of the same old movies and you're tired of the same old nominees and i hear that complaint a lot check out the short films you're gonna see something different yeah i mean that's that's always sort of been my pitch for short film festivals is like if you don't mm -hmm. like one movie you're going to see one within the next half hour that you love. Cause you know, they, they just are they're wrapped up in a little bow and they're just, you know, they, they go by quick and it's such a huge variety. Like our next uh, topic, uh, that's a good way to segue into documentary sort short subject is that um, like you said, these, most of these could not be a feature length documentary, but you can do a short documentary on anything. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so cool about it. So um, our nominees are Colette, which is um, a short about a Fr uh, the French resistance member um, named Colette visits the concentration camps where Nazis killed her brother. Really sad. Um, a concerto is a conversation about a jazz pianist and film composer who tracks his family lineage with his 91 year old grandfather. Another really touching one. Um, do Not Split, about the 2019 Hong Kong protests. Um, Hunger Ward, which is about um, the Yemen or Yemen feeding centers, um, healthcare workers fighting starvation in children. Really, really heavy one. And then another really, really heavy one on Netflix is a love song for Latasha um, about the 1992 civil uprising when a shop owner shot a 15-year-old uh, black girl in South Central LA um, for trying to buy some orange juice. Um, this is probably the heaviest subject of, of the entire Oscars. Um, all of these, I mean, how do you even pick any of them? I would say I, I had a hard time picking a, a uh, nominee or, or who I think deserves it and, and who I would vote for. I'm, I'm going to go. My prediction is a love song for Latasha, but um, any of these, I would be okay with winning. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the the documentary short subject is like the the uh, the poster child for what I think all movies should do, which is take viewers to a world they can't visit. Mm -hmm. um, and I these all do that in and just I mean it's just amazing what they, the, the world they take you to. Um, Hunger Ward, <laughs> I mean, oh Jesus, uh, dude, oh my god, yeah, I mean that, that that the most difficult film to watch out of all this year's nominees, but one you should watch. Um, but. Uh, if I had to, you know, for me, it comes down to two films in this category. I think you're right. I think a love song for Latasha is going to take the Oscar. Again, you know, just given the events of the past week, mm -hmm. <laughs> this yeah. film is right on the pulse of what's going on in this country. Um, and I don't just say that because I grew up in Minneapolis, but it's, um, and live in LA, so it kind of hits on both worlds. Mm -hmm. But um, it is a... Uh, it's really touching, it's really beautiful, and it's really heartbreaking. Um, honestly, that said, if I was actually had a vote and was gonna vote for it, I think I would vote for Do Not Split. 
um, which is about the revolution going on in Hong Kong or the anti-communist protests that are going on in Hong Kong against the Chinese government. Um, and it really just comes down to, it's not because one film is better than the other. Um, I did think that uh, Do Not Split just covered a larger scope in a period of time. They had they were following people in the middle of protests, getting tear gassed, mm-hmm. um, being a part of the protest and putting their lives at risk. Um, Love Song for Natasha, they have, um, they're, they're telling the story more from a distance in retrospect and, uh, and have a little more freedom with that. And so I just think out of, um, the, the fact that those cameramen, I think there's a couple times in that film where it cuts away when, cause the cameramen were attacked mm-hmm. by the, the, the police coming in. Um, and also there, there's, the, I, I think that's an interesting point of view and I, I love kind of the. The length of time it it uh, covers, and then going into uh, it, because it kind of those those protests have paused because of the pandemic, but it's not a situation that's over. Um, and you kind of feel it, it. It has a great feeling of where what that vibe is in Hong Kong. And I've been to Hong Kong, so I to about 10, 12 years ago, and and to see the change in the tone of that city in that documentary was quite startling. Yeah, I mean, it, it. that and Hunger Ward put you literally in the situation and, you know, yeah. it, you see the devastation. And once again, like you said, it puts you in a world that um, we're privileged not to be in. Um, and, totally. And it's it, all these were eye opening. I thought um, if it was sweetest, I would vote for a concerto is a conversation. I love that story. I thought his grandpa yeah. was was fantastic and to see mm-hmm. you know what he's he's done as a jazz pianist is really uplifting and really great um and obviously colette was very heavy too and having her um recall st- stories and going back and visiting i mean like i said this this category like i was watching these and um nikki had to like turn away she's like this is too much sad for one night because i sort of sat and watched yeah. them in a block i'm like man this is this might be the saddest night of my life watching these this block of films <laughs> No, it's it's always a hard category to kind of power through. It's like I know I'm gonna really feel good and ha- and happy and happy with myself having gone through the experience because I think this gives you us a chance to witness the events of the time that we live in in a way that we don't otherwise. And I think it's important to kind of bear witness to the era that you live in. And these shorts give us that opportunity. But it is it's an effort. It is an effort because uh, Hunger Ward is not something you sit down to lightly. It's not something you channel surf through and go, "Oh, what's that? I want to watch it." Um, it is. It, it takes an an effort and uh, some mental fortitude to get in there and watch these things. But I did the same thing. I, I sat down on a Saturday this past Saturday morning and, and powered through all of them. And I actually had told myself I wasn't going to do it that way, and then just was like, "I'm in it. Let's do this. I'm in the mindset." Um, I think one thing I should say is that. Uh, in, and again, this speaks to the change of the mindset of the Academy. Uh, there w- definitely was a time where Holocaust films were a lock for all Academy Awards. Um, and that was just kind of a given. Um, I don't think that's going to work for Colette this year. Um, and that's nothing to say about trends or anything. But I, I, I think we're, we are going to see the Academy focusing on other issues this year. And I think that's why Love Song for Latasha La is going to take the Oscar. Yeah, like I said, I... I can't agree. Like it won't be a robbery if no matter what mm-hmm. they pick, um, I'll, I'm happy with it. Cause they're all really strong. Um, Agreed. I'm just going to kind of go, okay, you went that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our next one is live action short film. Um, our nominees are feeling through about a, uh, late night encounter 
on a, on a New York street with a teenager um, who's trying to find a place to stay and a deaf and blind man. Um, really good. The letter room with Oscar Isaac. He is reading mail in a prison mail room and gets involved with a prisoner's um, private life. Sort of interesting one. Um, the present. And, and I'm not, I, I'm only reading the descriptions on these a little bit just because I think they're so interesting and important. And I, if you are listening and, and, um, you know, these, you're on the fence, you should definitely check these out. But, um, the present is about a man and his daughter, um, who are trying to buy a fridge for an anniversary gift at the, uh, Israeli crossing point between Bethlehem and Jer- Jerusalem. And then, um, two distant strangers, a young black man relives his murder by police every day. And then uh, White Eye, a man finds a stolen bicycle, um, and it leads to a much bigger story. Um, another, and it's a wonder. Yeah, another really, uh, really strong category. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm probably gonna say my prediction and vote goes to two, two distant strangers. Uh, it's a strong story and just so well made. But um, yeah, the wonder on what I. Uh, all of these are so fantastic. The one that to me didn't, didn't do it for me was the letter room. It's really good, but um, Mm -hmm. that would be the one I would be surprised if it won. I would be maybe a little sad just because to me, it wasn't the strongest, but um, what do you think? I think, yeah, I think the letter room, the letter room was a really interesting film. It stars Oscar Isaac. It's got the biggest name of all the short categories. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, 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 it, it felt almost like a pitch reel for a feature that there was more going on there. Um, I, I, you know, I, 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 it's nice to see a short film done at the scale that they did that going into the real prisons and having a star like Oscar Isaac, who was also an executive producer on that film. Um, if uh, I, I, God, I love feeling through so much. It's, it's the, it's, it is probably the most feel good one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Wonder and White Eye is amazing. Uh, I should also add that the present um, which was not nominated in there was none, none of these films were nominated in the same category, but the present did win the BAFTA award for short, best short film, but it was going up against completely different films. Uh, I have to say, I agree with you. Two distant strangers is my vote. And I think it's what's going to win. And it, much like we've talked about with a couple other of these films, again, you know, you said it in the description, uh, an African-American man, relives his murder by the police over and over again that feels like every time i open the news pages on the internet yeah is uh, seeing it over and over again and i mean it just happened in, on sunday so um i i i think it, it's hard not to uh just say that's the film because you have to you know that that it just seems so present in our lives on a daily basis for the past few past few years really um, and it it doesn't shy away from it and embraces it in a really uh, intense way. Yeah, it's I mean, we've seen the whole, you know, they, they sort of call it the Groundhog Day thing where someone relives. But to do mm-hmm. it with a serious subject matter matter that is more relevant now than ever is um, just crazy. Like yeah. I was not expecting it, um, but it, it's also, I mean, it's, it's, ve- it's a very, very serious subject, but the way it's done, the character almost has a sense of humor about it. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't believe this is happening. Um, just really refreshing, like really uh, just a well-made film. It's it's really, it, it's on Netflix. Um, it just dropped on Netflix, I think last week, and I'll put links and um, in, in where you can watch the shorts in the, sh- in the uh, show notes, but 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think once again, like you said about the last one, is that having this available, I've seen some people that I've, you know, I've tried to get to come to short film festivals for years or watch shorts like they're watching this because it's on Netflix and it's sort of a bummer, right. but it's like, it's good that they're, they're watching it now. Maybe they'll start realizing, Hey, shorts are actually awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, for all the, the criticism of the streamers and detracting from the theatrical experience, the great thing is, is, you know, and, and I did this a lot. I was doing a lot of what the theme of this podcast is, was I spent a lot of the last year. I was the reason I hadn't seen a lot of these films when the Oscar nominations was announced was because I spent a lot of the pandemic watching movies from the 30s, 40s and 50s that I had never watched. I was like, oh, there's no new movies. I should catch up on the things that I've never seen before. Um, so I think I, I love that the streamers are giving the opportunity to see these films and give people a chance to see films that they normally wouldn't see. But I think this one, Two Distant Strangers, I mean, it's literally, you know, you, we're talking about the time loop idea and the film, it, it, it's so perfectly baked into the concept. We're stuck in the loop of black men being shot over and over and over again. And every time we try to find a new way to break the loop, it doesn't work. And like the, the, the concept and the theme go together so well here that it's, uh, I think it's a shoe in. Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, like I said, check it out. It's on Netflix, uh, and, and check these all out, but, um, we're, we're going to move mm. on to feature films with animated best animated feature film. So our nominees mm. are onward over the moon, a Sean, the sheep movie, Farmageddon soul and Wolfwalkers. Um, I think this might be another one where the the uh, winner is a little uh, maybe obvious. Am I being um, am I right that Soul is probably the one that people are are going with? I'm, that's what I was predicting. I think Soul is the front runner. It won the Golden Globes and the BAFTA. Again, those are not always perfect. Uh, they have their own different voting bases from the Academy, but that's where the momentum is at. It's Pixar, Disney. That's a very strong traditional winner here um i think there there is a uh, the confusion over who's nominated here where you have pete doctor and dana murphy who are the director and the producer of the film um and they have one i i don't think dana murphy has but pete doctor has won before this category before i think for up or in and out and so you do have a, an already established winner and, and if the confusion over Kemp Powers not being nominated, even though he's a co-director and a writer, is a little, it detract, It takes a little bit of the shine because you're going to be awarding a film with a diverse story and a diverse cast, and you've left out the divert, one of the diverse voices that participated in the making of this movie. But I, I, I'm not sure even how many of the Academy members are aware that there's a, there's a disconnect with the nominees on this. If there's going to be a spoiler in this category, and it's the film that I would vote for if I had a vote, is Wolfwalkers. I love that movie. Uh, like I said, I talk about some of the gems that I kind of felt I discovered when I was watching this these issues nominees, and that was Wolfwalkers was up there with Greyhound and Love and Monsters of just like, I'm so happy I got this chance to see this movie. It's really great. It's a beautiful film. And the interesting thing is, is it's a third film in a trilogy of Irish folklore movies from the same filmmaker. And this is his third nominee nomination oh. in this category. So this could be a, kind of one of those situations. It could be a spoiler where they could decide, hey, he's done three films. They've all been Oscar nominees. Let's give him the Oscar this time. So if there's one that's going to that's going to take the Oscar away from Soul, it will be Wolfwalkers. 
Yeah, I really like that one too. I thought it was unique and sort of stands out. Um, I I mean, I maybe it's just like a disconnect or something. I just I just Sean Sean the sheep thing. I don't. I'm like, what is? <laughs> it, it's funny. It's like, it, but it's it's just a, to me like a, a a weird kids movie without any dialogue. Um, Over the moon was cool, but it was a bit much for me to get through. Um, yeah. Onward, you know, it's a Pixar movie. It's fun. Pixar knows what they're doing. They're fantastic at what they do. Um, but yeah. yeah, to me, Soul and Wolfwalkers were the two that stood out. And I, I might actually, you know, I think Soul is my prediction, but I'd probably vote for Wolfwalkers too. Just it, it stands out to me on these. Um, the the animation yeah. style. I I always feel bad like we have um, an animation category at at SNAF and. I try to get as many animators to vote because I I'll like watch these animated shorts and um, I'm like, that one was really good. And then I talk to them and they're like, man, the animation was really rough. Right. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah, man. Like I, I really don't know much about the actual process right. of it. So uh, just story wise and like how it looks to my eye, you know, is a little different, but I really like the style of this movie. The storytelling is really cool. Um, it took me mm-hmm. by surprise because I was sort of just expecting a kid's movie and it's not quite that. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's the cool thing I like about the category this year is, is that, you know, with the exception of Onward and Soul, which are obviously both Pixar Disney films, the, the other ones are all very different films with very different styles. Over the Moon is from a former Disney director, uh, but he's not using quite the Disney style. Uh, Sean the Sheep movie, I mean, that's Ardman Entertainment. Nick Park uh, has a long history, uh, mainly that started with the winning Best Short uh, Animated Oscars for Wallace and Gromit films. Hmm. Um, And I think that's why that film got in this category is kind of the strength of the pedigree of the history of that studio. Um, And I think that's probably won out over what would probably be the other nominee, the the Crudes sequel. uh, which is kind of the big difference between this list of nominees and the Golden Globe animated nominees. Um, but I think, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, I, to me, Wolfwalkers is the most cohesive film in this. It's It tells one story and it tells it very well and it's very clear. Soul felt fragmented to me, like there were three or four different premises going on and it never quite settled on what the one premise of the movie was. Um, so I, I, I honestly, I feel like Wolfwalkers is a better told movie. Um, and that's, and it would get my, that's why it gets my vote. Awesome. Excellent. I, I agree with your assessment of soul. I, I enjoyed it, but, uh, I sort of at the end felt like, so what's really the message here? Don't follow your dreams. I don't, I mean, I'm sure yeah. people listening are going to write in and, and tell me like you're an idiot, but, um, it was a little disjointed. Uh, it's the internet. Me. Don't they do that anyways? Yeah. Yeah. No matter what I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just what Twitter does. <laughs> right, right. So our next category is feature documentary, and our nominees are Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Uh, mm. Let's hear what you think as far as prediction and what you would vote for. Um, I think there are three films that are the front runners in this category. Uh, Collective is an interesting one because it's also nominated in the best international film Mm -hmm. category. And I think there's certainly a line of thought thinking, I don't think, because we already mentioned that, um, the director of another round is, uh, nominated for directing Mm -hmm. and not to give that away, but that kind of does tilt the international film in that favor. So that might, since they know Collective probably won't win that one, that could tip it for a documentary feature nomination. I honestly, as good as that movie is, I don't think it's the best film in this 
batch. So I kind of don't buy that theory, but that is one line of thinking. Um, I think the two strongest ones that it's competing against, and they're just so it's apples and oranges just because they're documentaries, they really shouldn't even be in the same category. It's between my octopus teacher and time. Um, and, uh, time, uh, about, uh, prison sentences, uh, for uh, unreasonable prison sentences for African-Americans is obviously, um, very, uh, I'm trying not to say the word timely, but that's what I can't get around it. So, um, but it's very appropriate to our era that we live in. I think it's a very good look at that subject matter. And I think it's a really important film. Um, on the other hand, my octopus teacher has more scope. It's a beautifully shot film with underwater photography of these uh, underwater world. I talked before about going into a world that we don't have access to, and that's exactly what my octopus teacher does. It also won the BAFTA award and more importantly, won the PGA award, the producers guild award for best documentary feature. And those producers are academy, most mostly Academy members. So you're seeing a preview of how the producing branch of the Academy already thinks. So I think my octopus teacher will win. It's a feel good movie. Um, like you said earlier, there's not a lot of feel good movies this year. This is kind of a downer of a year in terms of the tone of the movies. They're all great movies, but they're, they're very serious. So I think my octopus teacher is a bright spot. That's really well done and well put together. And I think that probably will win. I'm I'm going to predict that time will win, but I could definitely see my octopus teacher. I think I could see some people being upset that like the one feel good, like, you know, it it is a feel good one. Um, It did make me, cr- it did make me cry. Um, But yeah, it's great. It's beautiful. Um, But you know, I'm, I'm like you said, time is a little more relevant right now with the social issues. Um, I, I thought my the the mole agent was going to be a little heavier it actually had quite a bit of humor and was really good too uh and and same with crip camp i thought it was going to be a little heavier and and it had a lot of great humor and great storytelling from the people that attended um and once Mm. again like you said collective when something's up for documentary and international but we also have the overlap with another round so uh i'm excited to see what they go with on this one and it's usually yeah. one I don't get to check out like this and international are the ones that I just never, I can never find them, you know, this, and luckily this year, mm-hmm. a lot of them are on streaming uh, platforms because, you know, people can't get, couldn't get out to theaters, but um, yeah, it's, well, I think the street uh, documentary feature is probably the one category that has benefited the most from the streaming revolution. Um, these guys have a lot clearer paths to financing than they used to and a lot bigger of an audience than they used to. I, I did want to say, if anybody hasn't seen it, uh, Crip Camp, I highly recommend. There is a civil rights revolution that happened that, that this film documents that most people I don't think really know about or understand, and it's amazing. Yeah, I had uh, zero knowledge going into it and was actually um, blown away by how much I learned. It was very eye-opening as to the struggle uh, that these people went through. It's like we just sort of take for granted what, you know, what we have now and it's like holy cow like they didn't have basic rights back then it's it's, it was very eye-opening agreed so we talked a little bit about this one because it has some overlap so the next category is international feature film Um, we have Mm -hmm. another round from denmark we have better days from hong kong we have collective from romania the man who sold his skin from tunzia and um i'm probably going to butcher this one kua vadi aida from Bosnia. Uh, these ones, another, another interesting one, because we have basically, um, 
four pretty heavy films and then one that's a lot more fun. I was gonna say it's, it's yeah. just a bunch of comedies here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we we talked about this one earlier, and and we think I think we both agree that another round will probably take this one. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, I all these films are worth seeing. They're all exceptionally well done. Uh, another round is once something from the international film category is the only film nominated in the best director category. That just kind of seals the deal. Um, right. you're saying they're saying effectively that it's better directed than the other four nominees um and i whether that's i don't know if that's uh that i i don't think you could actually say that's true but that's essentially it's getting more honor than the other ones have so i think another round's an easy pick for everybody and it's also got the biggest star it's got mads michelson it's got something it, it's it's the easiest one for everybody to latch on to and go that's it. And it's a really well-made film. It's a, it's a really fun film to watch um, and serious film. So I, I, I don't begrudge it. It's Oscar. And I think that's a, like you said, with some, like direct, directing category, I think this one's a lock. That's an easy bet to win this year. Yeah. I watch, watch it be wrong. Yeah. I, <laughs> we never know, but I mean, that's, that's probably my, my prediction. Oh man. I would have a tough time with the vote. It might go to that one just because it was the easiest watch, but um you know, that's sort of a, a cop out because collective at times is really not not like hard to watch as in like, man, I can't get through this, like very heavy yeah. subject matter. Um, and the man who sold a skin had a little bit of humor, but that one was was pretty wild. Like that one. Re- actually, that might get my vote just because of the story was just so crazy. Um, a guy, yeah. a, a guy who's trying to basically get back into a country, um, finds his way in by having an artist uh, tattoo his back and he sort of becomes a living piece of art he makes like he basically sold sells the soul to the devil in a way um by allowing an artist to turn him into an exhibit and then he quickly realizes like this isn't what i thought it was going to be um yeah it's a great critique of uh human trafficking mm-hmm. of uh of uh refugee law rights it's a it, it's, it, it hits on a lot of levels it's a really great film i also was really involved in uh, Ida um, and her story of oh, just trying yes. to save her family. That was just so intense. These are all really amazing films, like Better Days, which is about bullying in uh, Chinese schools, or is or is it? It's Japanese school. I'm sorry. Um, is is really wonderful. It gets probably. I think I said to you earlier a little after school special for me at the end. Yeah, I, but I, I thought the, so. It's too. very. It's it's wonderfully tense. Like they, they, for the most part, actually, the the, the problem with that tone shift at the ending is it's not that for 85 percent of the movie and i and it's really wonderfully done and the performances are fantastic yeah this like i said i normally don't get to these um but i i managed to find like hulu has another round um and mm-hmm. ida is on hulu also um all most of these are are available to find online um but yeah ida's story was very tragic very very hard to watch heartbreaking uh yeah just another great group of of films um so yeah check them out and now we're getting into the sort of really big ones uh here we go yeah we're leading up to him so our next category is actress in a supporting role we have maria bakalova for borat i'm not going to name the entire movie borat 2 um glenn (laughs) glenn close who's up for a razzie also um and hillbilly lg we have Olivia Coleman in The Father, Amanda Seyfried in Mank, and Yo Jung Yon in Minari. Uh, 
a great crop of of uh actors or actresses uh some surprises this year i think people were not not necessarily surprised that glenn close gets nominated because we've seen her there before but for this movie people were surprised and uh mm-hmm. uh maria for borat too which she she was sort of uh a sleeper like i think people are really blown away by her and and you know this yeah like people i mean we saw the first borat is borat you know and he she comes in and still, sort of steals the movie so uh I, i'm happy to see her nominated i mean she's to me honestly i i like borat's subsequent movie film better than the original mm-hmm. um i think it has more heart and that heart comes from her and uh i i it made it a much uh to me the first one was a little grating actually I was like okay i get the gag but this film it, her character development gave it a through line that i just loved and uh, her ability to stay in character for the long periods of time she had to do to to maintain the documentary illusion is just incredible um any actress who has to maintain character and get groped by Rodi giuliani should get an oscar absolutely um, and i think um you know i i, I and and i think in in the old Oscars, it's it's which is weird to say, but in the old Oscar mindset, I think she is the perfect example of usually the kind of person who wins this category. It's a Cinderella story, and that's Marissa Tomei or Anna Paquin when they won their Oscars. The Academy loves a Cinderella story of uh, somebody in, uh, for the Best Supporting Actress category, and she's she so fits it coming from um, you know an Eastern European country, n- complete obscurity, and then suddenly thrust onto that stage. Um, I, I don't think she's the front runner in this category. I don't think she's going to win, but I think if there's going to be a surprise in this category, it's going to come from her. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Like she, she really blew me away. I didn't expect that movie to like, actually I expected laughs and that's about it. Like dumb laughs. Yeah. And there was some really serious. And, and like you said, the serious stuff was thanks to her. Like the yeah. her um relationships with people and th- this movie sort of got its um headlines from that m- moment with Rudy Giuliani and yeah. you know that was a big moment but there was so much there was actually so much heart in this and to agreed s- and it's really the relationship with the babysitter right yeah and and we've heard since the movie you know that they've um kept in contact and there's been so many interviews with her and it's great like she just it's nice to see that there's good people out there you know and it was just awesome to see like some of this, you know, and what's considered just sort of a dumb prank movie that there is some heart. And uh, yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I think if, if, if in days of old, I think this would have been the, the front runner, I think because of that Cinderella story aspect of her kind of coming from nowhere and just taking everybody by storm. And she could very well win. I think it's, it's a great image to have up on uh, the screen of that kind of transformation that people love that kind of thing. But I think, you know, the, in terms of the other nominees, Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman already have Oscars. And I don't think this, I think they're amazing in their respective roles. And I'll say that for Glenn Close, despite the Razzie, I think she's doing a pretty good job. And oh, yeah. Following I, I, what, what Ron Howard wanted her to do. Yeah. I, I didn't get the hate for Hillbilly LG. I, I really liked it. I mean, is it, you know, best picture? No, but it, it, get, it got so much hate from people. I don't get it. That's that's the way Twitter works. People yeah. love to hate. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the, what, what is, what's Ben Affleck's line from uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, Strike Back? You know, the, the the Internet has given everyone a voice and everyone has used that voice to bitch about movies. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> that that line's a little old at this point, but it's very it it, it has resonated. But um, so yeah, I think Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman have those Oscars. They already have Oscars on their shelves. I don't think they're going to win for these roles. I think Amanda Seyfried's great, but there's just doesn't seem to be any momentum behind her. The momentum is Young Jung Yoo uh, for Minari. She's won the SAG. She's won the BAFTA. So you can see with the SAG where the industry lies. And her, I think one thing that you can look at consistently from other Oscar winners is they don't just look at the awards. They look at how you accept an award because they're kind of looking for something interesting and a fun moment. And uh, Young very much gave that uh, when she accepted her BAFTA award this this past weekend, um, kind of saying, "I can't, I can't believe I got this award from such snobby people <laughs> as the British." Um, and I, I, it was kind of lovely and cute. And she's just—I uh, don't know much about her career, but from my understanding, she's a really well-regarded uh, actress in her in Korea in her native country, and is just kind of one of the top of her field in that area. So I think it's a, it, it is a different kind of Cinderella story to have her come. And I'd say just different kind because of the age difference. Um, mm -hmm. She's a, obviously a grandmother in the movie, but I think it's the same, a similar vibe of somebody. Uh, I think there's going to be kind of a, wow, look at her. She's come all this way and here she is in the stage. And there's kind of a fish out of water aspect. Um, like she said, somebody asked her, you know, what do you think about your Oscar chances? And she's like, I have no idea what any of this means. I want people to stop asking me about that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's and I think it's kind of, it's lovely and it's refreshing and her character is amazing in that movie and what she pulls off is great. So I, I think she will win it. And I think it's, it's probably, it's, it's not probably, it is very well-deserved. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was my prediction too. Uh, she's fantastic. She made me laugh quite a bit, um, which I can't really say about, well, I could say that about um, Maria. And, and so I guess I would vote for Borat, but my prediction is Minari, but uh, mm. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, her her performance in Minari was fantastic. Really, really interesting story. Like, I, I posted on Facebook, like, it feels like A24 puts out, like, one normal film a year to, to win some kind of award, and then they do their weird, yeah. like, horror, like, genre stuff. It, it's uh, The stuff that makes money and then the stuff that the money pays for. <laughs> right, yeah, it, it's sort of weird, but uh, it's cool. Because they, they had another one, like, what was it, um, Top Cow or something? that I, I didn't see it, yeah. but, but a lot of people... I didn't get a chance to. Yeah, thought that that was um, deserving or got snubbed this year. Um, but, yeah, let's move on to actor in a supporting role. We have Sasha Barra Cohen in The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel uh, Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. So this is an interesting one because we have two actors from the same movie, which, like you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, could cancel each other out. Um, but I, I picked Daniel. Um, I think he's really strong in this. It's interesting because that was another thing was like Lakeith, I think, uh, tweeted like, so what the hell count, like what's counts as supporting and what's a leading role? Like, I don't know either. Like, yeah. how do you determine that? I think that's the studios and how they submit these awards. And, uh, you know, th there was the reverse argument uh, many, many moons ago for Silence of the Lambs when Anthony Hopkins was submitted as best actor. And it's like, I kind of feel like that's a supporting character. He's got five scenes. Right. Um, and he won. Uh, and I, you know, I think that actually is the, the for, uh, Stansfield, I think that's the, the, the biggest strike against him in this category is he's not, he is the, uh, he is the lead actor and I don't think he belongs in this category in that regard. He's, his performance is Oscar worthy. His, 
in the wrong category. Um, and uh, I think that's honestly was the studio submitted to supporting to get the most nominations. I think they looked at the actor field and said, uh, I don't know if he's going to crack through in that field. Um, and we can get to the reasons why when we get to that category. But I think they thought maybe he'd have a better chance of getting some recognition in the supporting actor role. And I think they probably submitted him that way. So it was a strategic move by the studio, I'd wager. Okay. So what what is your prediction? Uh, I think you're exactly bang on correct. I think Daniel Kalil will take it. He's won the BAFTA. He's won the Critics' Choice. He's won the Golden Globe. He's won the SAG Award. He has won everything. Um, I don't think there's really much competition here. Um, I think early on, I would have, before the awards were announced and bef before we hit the new year, I, I would have said Sasha Barakonin was the, the front runner in this category. And I think I made that prediction when I watched Trial Chicago 7, just because he's such a well-regarded actor and he's had such a great year between this and Borat that it looked like, okay, cool, you can award Sasha Barakonin for the amazing year he's had with this Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Uh, but then I think Daniel Kaluuya came and kind of blew his chances out of the water. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I, I think I said earlier, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, I think they'll award him that song uh, song Oscar. So that takes him out of this running. I think Paul uh, Ricci, Ricci, is that how you pronounce his name? From Sound of Metal. Mm -hmm. That's the, he's, he's one of those, it's, a, it's an amazing performance. The nomination is well-deserved, but I think kind of like what we were saying for White Tiger, people are going to look at that and go, his award is getting that nomination because mm -hmm. he's come from nowhere. So it really does come down to Kalua and Cohen and Sasha Barrett Cohen. And I think Kalua has all the momentum and all the cards in this one. Who would you pick though? Who would I pick? Um, I think I'd, I'd go with Daniel Kalua too. I, I don't have any problem with that. I think he's well-deserving. I think so too. It was a fantastic movie. Um, one that I really wish I was vaccinated to see in the theaters. I luckily mm -hmm. you know, saw it on HBO Max, and it was really tempting because it played in our theater. And I'm like, man, I want to go see it. Yeah, but uh, you know, play, I, played it safe. Yeah, I almost did because I I just didn't get around to it when I was on HBO Max, and then it was impossible to find. Um, thankfully, um, this sometimes happens. Somebody in LA loaned me a screener. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, which I was annoying to watch it with the this film is the property of Warner Brothers uh, appearing on screen every 10 minutes. But, <laughs> you know, you watch it how you can watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You got to do what you got to do to get them all watched. Um, yeah. So our next category is and we're getting down to it now. The top three. Yeah. Uh, we have actress in a leading role um, with Viola Davis and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We have Andra Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. What a if lineup. If you think you know who's going to win this category, you don't know. Oh, yeah, what <laughs> a lineup, This is the most man. wide open category. Yeah. So. I, can, I can give you an argument for every person on this list almost. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Um, well, I think Viola Davis, uh, she won the SAG Award. So I, I, a lot of people would say she's the front runner. Um, I think Andrea Day, uh, she won the Golden Globe. So I, she's definitely got a, a stake in this. Frances McDormand won the BAFTA and Carrie Mulligan won the Critics' Choice. So there's no clear, it's not like those other categories like we were saying for Daniel Kaluuya where he took all of those. The awards are evenly spread out amongst these nominees. Um, you know, I think the only one that, uh, which is odd because I'll just get to who I think should win, if I had a vote, I'd give it to Vanessa Kirby, and she's the one who has zero momentum <laughs> in this race. Mm -hmm. She's not going to win. Uh, but what she did in that uh, 
the, the film opens with oh a, the opening uh, 30 minutes yeah the opening 30 minutes of like the, just she should just get the oscar for the opening 30 minutes let alone the amazing work that followed um the opening of that it's a wonder uh, basically I'm, i won't say what happens exactly but she's it's, it's her she's pregnant and she's giving birth and the film that fo follows her in one shot through the entire process and it is and she lives it and it's amazing it's one of the best pieces of filmmaking i'm actually uh just shocked that this film did not get more recognition than it did this is one of the ones it's a serious film it's an intense film to watch but this is again was one of those gems of like why is this only nominated in this category this is an amazing piece of work i could write a paper on the last shot of the movie um like a five-page paper on the last shot of that movie i really love pieces of a woman um but it's not gonna win um i think to get through the and kind of subtract who uh i think is the other nominees to get to the point of who i think is going to win i think viola davis already has an oscar so i don't think she wins this year even though i think a lot of people think she's the front runner same with Frances mcdormand um she has uh two oscars already mm -hmm. and i think she will walk away with an oscar uh at the ceremony this year, but it will not be for best actress, um, not to give away something. And I think Andrea Day does a great job in that film. She's the best thing of that movie, but I don't think the United States versus Billie Holiday, um, despite being a great story, I don't think it's an especially well told story in this, in the context of this movie. I think, think that the movie, she's a, she's much better than the movie she's in. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of leaves us to the point of Carrie Mulligan is going to win for uh, Promising Young Woman. I think there's a lot of momentum behind that movie. And it really, she's in every scene, she or almost every scene. And she carries that movie in a really fantastic way, brings a lot of energy. And she is someone who was nominated uh, in 2009 for the film An Education and did not win. So this is kind of a comeback for her. And I think Oscar does tend to love a comeback. And I think this is a great chance for her to... Uh, to be awarded and for that film to be recognized. I'm going to predict Francis again. I know that she's won several times before and she's sort of been a shoe in at times, but, um, and, and it's definitely not my pick. I would say this mm. is probably like my, my last pick in this category. And that's mm. not saying she's bad by any means. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, but yeah. I, I was going to say there's, there's a bit in Nomadland and it's in the first five minutes. It, it's, and it's, she's completely silently just interacting with the prop made me straight up shed tears. And the film had just started. I was just like, it's one of the most magnificent pieces of silent acting I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's great. I just think the other stories, of uh, and performances maybe did it just uh i don't even know touch me a little more i guess um mm -hmm. like you said pieces of a woman i was blown away by and and i, I agree that i it should have gotten more recognition this year uh i was one of those ones that you know i just sort of saw on netflix and saw, oh it's up for an award i'll check it out and i i try to go in blind on these because it's like i'm gonna watch them anyways Same. Just, just watch them and holy cow and uh just a shroud of darkness around you watching that one um same and same with you yeah. know even united states versus billy holiday what a sad true story um, yeah it is and another in but yeah um i would probably vote for carrie mulligan just because um it's i just this is probably my favorite of the bunch this year um not to mm. spoil anything upcoming but uh sure. yeah that i i think i would vote for her but i'm i'm gonna predict that francis uh, McDormand okay. takes it. This and time. I'm going to predict you're going to be wrong and very happy. That's okay.
<laughs> okay, so now we have actor in a leading role. We have Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Mank, and Stephen Yun in Minari. Another great crop of films and actors. It is. It's a it's a really great crop of uh, it's a really great selection. Um, everybody here is very deserving, but it's a short conversation. Chadwick Boseman won. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet. Um, what do you think lead though? I mean, I've seen some people that are like he's definitely not the lead in this, but they submitted him there. I don't know if there is a lead in that movie. There, it it it's, it it kind of bounces around between a lot of different characters. But the thing is, Riz Ahmed is 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 a fantastic up and coming actor. Um, he's gonna. I think he's gonna be here again. Um. And I, 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 so I think there's a lot of potential there. Anthony Hopkins already has his Oscar. Um, Gary Oldman, uh, I think Stephen Young, like Riz Ahmed, already yeah, it, it will have chances again. I think he's, a, you know, he's going to be somebody who's going to come back here. Chadwick Boseman gave an amazing performance in a very good movie and will never have another chance to get an Oscar. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is the overriding thinking here um and I, you know no matter what category he's in he's already won the golden globe the critics choice in the sag the only one of that those four he didn't win was the bafta surprise the british gave it to anthony hopkins yeah <laughs> um, yeah, yeah uh but I, th- I i think you know i i don't think the academy and his wife has been doing a magnificent job of accepting and uh, these awards and kind of being the face of this. And I think uh, all the momentum is behind Chadwick Boseman to, to, to take this uh, home. Yeah, I definitely, and it's deserved. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I mean, I was just sort of playing devil's advocate because I've heard that was sort of the feedback of I, I've heard is the argument yeah. that, you know, he wasn't necessarily a lead, but um, you can't deny his powerful performance in this movie. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's just he, fantastic. Yeah. And if he had, you know, even if he hadn't passed, passed away um he he gave a great performance in this film and he gave a great great performance in the five bloods and he's consistently given an amazing performance in so many films you know and in the range of diversity from james brown to black panther you know he's just he's hit every kind of different role and done a great job with it he's somebody if his career hadn't been cut short um he would have won an oscar at some point for something it just was inevitable um, this just happens to so tragically and unfortunately be the last time we're going to get a chance to, or he's going to get a chance to get that recognition. But I, I can't see the Academy des, uh, denying Chadwick Boseman Academy Award winning actor status. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. So that uh, leaves us with the big one, the uh, best picture. Mm-hmm. We, we have one all these movies we've been talking I, i've said all these titles a million times but um we've got the father judas and the black messiah mank minari nomadland promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of chicago seven we have a i mean just the best of the best mm-hmm. no surprises here no out of left field i mean just sort of what people predicted but um is there a clear uh, front runner to you in this one the front runner is uh has been much like the directing category since august and the buzz started on the festival circuit it's been behind nomadland again it would be an utter 
shock if it did not win. It's got the BAFTA, it's got the Golden Globe, it's got the Critics' Choice, and it's got the Producers Guild Awards. Um, it has all the momentum. It's shown no weaknesses um, in at any point in this process. The only thing that really uh, could uh, unseat it and uh, prevent it from winning is the fact that the the Best Picture category is determined by preferential voting. Mm-hmm. So they give you they, you vote for all the nominees, and you say this is my first choice, my second choice, my third choice, my fourth choice, my fifth choice. So something could get a lot of first place votes, but if the the number of votes for say the second place film gets a lot more, then mm-hmm. the preferential vote could thrust that into the winner winner circle. Interesting. So that weird voting. Now it should be said that Nomadland won the PGA award and they use the same system. Okay. So it's already been through the process once and survived. Um, I think the exceptions here is that you, you can look for, if you want to see the cracks in the armor, um, Trial of the Chicago 7 did win the SAG Award for Best Ensemble Film, or Best Ensemble Cast, and that is the equivalent of the SAG Award for Best Picture. I don't think that's the way this is going to go this year. Um, it's not quite the same award, but it's the most equivalent. Promising Young Woman won the BAFTA, and as we've talked about repeatedly, there's a lot of momentum behind it, but I think when it wins, uh, best original screenplay and best actress, they're going to feel like it's well represented. And then I think the true spoiler in this category that some people are are starting to talk about is Minari. Really? And Minari is interesting because it did win Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards, um, but it won him as a foreign language film because it's primarily in Korean. Mm-hmm. Because it's an American production, it's not eligible for best international film. But in those other award shows, it did win Best Picture awards, but as a foreign language film. So it's kind of untested how that works out. So in that preferential voting, if Minari kind of comes up on a lot of number two and number three votes, it could end up uh, over, you know, taking over the lead and actually take Best Picture from Nomadland. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Nomadland has this on a lock. Yeah, that's what Nomadland was my prediction. I felt that was. Um a clear-cut winner just from uh what i've read and you know how many awards it's up for but i i would not vote for it myself as as the first one like i said and, mm-hmm. and that's no knock on any of these all these are great films i i truly loved all of them and i i made sure not to even like pick a vote ahead of time because i wanted to sort of be like off the cuff um Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I, I think I'd probably vote for Promising Young Woman myself. Uh, that was the one to me that that really stood out and it not not at all a feel good movie, but just unique. It's sort of mm. um, more in my lane, I guess. But uh, I, I would. It's not, almost a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I wouldn't have a problem with any of these winning um, the, the cast of the, the ensemble cast of tri- the trial of Chicago seven. Uh, that one was not really on my radar either. And my boss kept trying to tell me, you know, Hey, Borat's in that one. I'm like, shut up. But, uh, <laughs> he got me to watch well, it, I mean, you know, and, and it was, yeah. it was really good. And Minari, you know, really fantastic too. And I, the only one I, I don't see when there, you know, when like Mank first came out or when it was being talked about, I'm like, Oh, that's going to be a shoe in. Um, not, I don't think it has a chance as, as far as best picture, but, uh, no. I mean, it's funny. Mank is so usually right up my alley. Like I have a, a TV series that I've developed about Hollywood history. Mine's set in the silent era. 
And I love that stuff. Like if you haven't told by listening to us for however long we've been talking, I love Hollywood <laughs> history. Um, but I think there's something kind of distant about the way David Finchner shoots his movies. And you can see it in the social network and Gone Girl and almost all his movies really. But there's a distance between you and the characters. Um, there's a kind of a coldness and it prevents me from being engaged in the movie as much as I wanted to be with that, um, that kind of distance between them. And I think that that kind of lack of, um, I don't I almost want to say empathy that you have for the characters as they're going through the process. You're just kind of observing them, but you're not living with them. Like in Minari, Promising Young Woman and Nomadland you, and Sound of Metal, you're with those human beings. You're part, you're, you're living the story through their eyes. And I don't think that happens in Mank. And I think that distance hurts the movie, uh, especially hurts its chances in this case. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a toss up for me Ed, between Promising a Woman and The Sound of Metal. Those would probably be my two votes if I had one. Yeah, I, I haven't really said much about Sound of Metal, but I absolutely love that one, too. Uh, I just that story is is crazy. I mean, it's it, a drummer trying he's going through um, a drug addiction and then starts losing his hearing and struggling through life. Um, I thought that one really blew me away because this when it came out, I was not really even paying attention to the Oscar field and uh, was just sort of out of left field. And my friends were saying, Hey man, have you seen sound of metal? It's on, you know, Amazon prime and watched it. And I was like, Oh, this might be a contender, man. This is really, really good. And, and it's yeah. one of my favorites too. So uh, yeah, if I, if I didn't vote for promising a woman, I would, the preferential voting, I would say promising a woman, probably first sound of metal, second, uh, I'm not going to rank them all, but yeah, it's right. It, it's right up there with it. it it's, it's yeah. And, and so one that I would actually rewatch too, where it's like Mank, I probably will yeah. never watch again. Well, and I think, you know, you look at, like we were talking about before of the, the you, you look for the kind of the, the awards that consistently go from to, uh, to best picture winners. And like I said, I think sound of metal is going to win the editing award and that's a good indicator of best picture. Sometimes I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I, I do think that does, point to the quality and of the level of storytelling and sentimental. It's funny what you said about not looking forward to sh trial of Chicago seven though. I, cause that film was originally a Sorkin script that was going to be directed by Steven Spielberg mm. many years ago. And I've, so I've been waiting like Sorkin directed by Spielberg. I must see this. Um, so I've been waiting for that film for a very long time. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm glad I got a chance to find it got made and I've got a chance to see it, but that's certainly been a film on Hollywood's radar for a very, very long time to get to this point. Yeah, it's a it's a cool story, and no one can deny Aaron Sorkin's writing. I'm just not quite sold on his directing yet. Maybe uh, <laughs> uh, he's not bad at all. I'm, and that's not no, a he's very on good. It, but I like when he writes something and and has another filmmaker. I mean, uh, the Social Network is like one of my favorite films of the last uh, ten, twenty. I mean, it's just fantastic. I love the Social yeah. Network, and that's one I I probably like even more after every watch, where it's like. I'm not mm -hmm. going to pop in Mank or The Father probably ever again. And that's not knocks on them, but they're not movies that, you know, I'm going to rewatch where uh, I don't sound think I metal, have the mental. Yeah. yeah. And, I don't have the mental fortitude to get to The Father again. Like my, it's going to oh, break my heart. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a, a very heavy. And, and like I said, really, really cool way to tell that story. But yeah, it's not something that I'm, I'm going to be rewatching. And yeah, I know. I always say when people ask me to pick my favorite film and I, try to determine that I factor in rewatchability. Like you can make an argument and I can't argue with you if you say Spielberg's best film is Schindler's List, but I'm not going to watch that film over and over again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
that's my favorite Spielberg film because I can watch that on a loop over and over again. I love that movie. Um, and rewatchability is a factor. Yeah. I mean, I, I would always either, uh, man, that's a whole different podcast, but I would have to say, you know, <laughs> Jaws or ET for me, but, um, not the valid contenders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do watch Jaws at least I, Fourth of July weekend every single year, but um, you know, ET's up there too. So, yeah, oh, we've gotten through all the nominations, man. What a great congratulations! Field. Yeah, congratulations to all of the uh, nominees. Um, <laughs> you know, I hope you're all listening to my to my little show first time. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope you don't take our criticisms to heart. We love all of you. I hope that everybody you know gets a little piece of the pie. I hope it that you know I hate when like one picture just rules the night and gets a ton of awards that's always boring to me. Uh mm. but you know it's I hate when people say this too but it's it's just an honor to get nominated but um it's all <laughs> subjective too, you know what I mean? Like I I have a really hard time at at SNAF with the award ceremony because it's like, you know, just having your film at a festival or just being in this case being mm. nominated is really awesome like you are the best of the best you know and and getting nominated is a a huge win so well i think you know also i think that the whole point of the reason the oscars were started back when the academy was founded in the 19 in 1927 you know with people like mary pickford and douglas fairbanks was to promote what the film industry thought were the best movies and that maybe the the best movies didn't peek through in the box office and get through to the public and this was another way of telling the public, hey, you may have missed these amazing movies. These are the best that our industry is doing. This is what we think because we make movies. And so I I, I, I think people sometimes miss that that's the point of the Oscars. And that's why the part of the reason the Academy was founded. And I think, uh, you know, all these films are worthy of your time and worth watching. And like I said, you may discover, like we did, some gems that, uh, that we didn't know we were out there. But at, for every one of the no Badlands, there's Love and Monsters. You're going to have some fun with some of these films. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a reoccurring theme every year when these get nominated. And I notice it less and less as I get older. And maybe it's because I'm surrounding myself with uh, more and more people who actually just sit down and enjoy movies. But when I when I first start getting into like film and, and being in the film circle, and of course I surround myself with people who like horror and weird stuff. But um, <laughs> I just, when they get announced, you hear some people go, I've never heard of any of these movies. And it's like, are you, are you bragging about that? Like, or, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a weird flex. Like, you know, yeah. uh, I haven't heard of any of these. It's like, then go, go see them. But now I, like we talked about several times, it's like most of these are on streaming networks. Uh, so hopefully you know, more accessible. It's, it's always weird too, because like our chain theater almost never plays into these movies until they're nominated. And then they get here yeah. late after they're already available to watch at home. And um, it's just, it's a, it's a weird thing, but. No, it's always frustrating for me because I always, uh, I'm from Minneapolis, I think I've said, and I always go home to for Christmas to Minneapolis, except for this year. And the nominees always come out about the time that I fly home for Christmas and I get there and none of the films are playing. They're all in LA on one week engagements to qualify, but they're not playing. Yeah. And I'm like, I have all this time at Christmas to watch movies and I can't because all that's playing is the, the same 10 screens are saying playing the same three blockbusters that came out at Christmas. So I know it's, I, I, it's one of the reasons I love living in Los Angeles is we have such diversity in our movie theaters and what they play. And, and you can usually see just about anything that's ever been, that's going to be released in a theater at some point, if you know where to look and which theaters to go to. Uh, it's one of the reasons I, I love Los Angeles, but uh, 
I feel for uh, <laughs> for other cities that don't get the diversity of movies that uh, are out there because these films are amazing on the big screen and watching uh, close-ups and small performance pieces in on these huge screens is just it's a, it's a transcendent experience. Yeah, I would say this year I didn't really see anything I would call Oscar bait like. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was sort of a term that people use for a long time about movies that were made specifically to, to get awards. I didn't really feel that this year. So um, we have a great, a great crop. Well, and I, you know, the, the last thing I'll, I should add is I think you're seeing the big blockbusters pull from this list of Oscar nominees. Like you want a sense of the blockbusters that are coming later this year. Chloe Zhao on her own uh, kind of volition pitched Marvel an adaptation of their comic, The Eternals, and wrote and directed that adaptation that's coming out in November. And a November release means that they're trying for an Oscar film. So even though Nomadland looks like a small little film from Searchlight Pictures, she's going to be doing a, Mar- by this time next year, we'll be talking about her Marvel blockbuster. So these are the filmmakers um, that are making tomorrow's blockbusters and are going to be voices you're going to hear from from a lot. So if you want a preview of what's coming out, look at a lot of these little art house films. They are going to have an impact on your summer blockbusters and what's coming out in the multiplexes, not just the art house. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And hopefully the next time we record for the um, next Oscar special, we'll have an opportunity to see most of these in a theater and, and uh, Amen. times will be a little better and, uh, you know, things won't be so strange, but um, where where can my listeners find you um, and, and feel free to plug anything you have that you, you want people to check out or listen to or see or anything? Here's your window to let them know. Uh, I, I think I talked about my upcoming shorts and they're not ready to be seen yet. But if you want to see any of the other shorts I've done, including FAR and uh, or my World War II short, Una Liberación, that played at uh, uh, Snake Alley Festival of Film, you can go to my webpage. It's filmcrew.com. That's film, and the crew is spelled like my last name, C-R-E-W-E.com. Excellent. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes so that you guys can easily access it. And um, like I said, uh, his films are fantastic. Uh, they've not only played at my festival, they've won awards. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to see what you got up your sleeve for these next two shorts. Um, and hopefully next time, you know, when they do get released, I'll be seeing you in person at the film festival. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm to excited it. to be back at the Capitol and uh, to to see what to see how the audiences respond. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on, and um, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. 